How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Let's do this. Another day, another dollar, another edition of The Drive. You're listening to The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. My name is Karenton Harrison. Excited to be here with you on this wonderful Thursday as we are continuing to get you ready for Super Bowl 58 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we have very sad news to bring to you. We are... Losing recipes, there are some things that make Kansas City, Kansas City, our love of the Big 12 tournament, the Plaza Art Fair, the American Royal. There are some Kansas City institutions. And if we are going to allow Queen Taylor Swift to be in our city, we need to preserve it. She is one of us. She has been through the Chiefs' ups and downs. She was at that Christmas Day game against the Las Vegas Raiders. She knows Chiefs' heartbreak. She also needs to know this Kansas City tradition. I'll tell you what that is coming up in just a bit. Excited to be here with you. I am a week away from flying to Vegas to get ready for the Super Bowl. I'm excited. Hopefully you are excited. I expect a very good game between two very good teams. We got a lot to get into today. But first, before we do any of that. things first carrington pizza time on the drive dial me up right now 913-586-7610 car number six wins a pizza from our friends over at pizza tasio pizza tasio is Kansas City's best new york style pizza and they've taken over the town they got a new spot in waldo plus locations in op that's my home pizza tasio they also got locations in lee summit midtown north kc st joe and lawrence plus a killer selection of both craft and local beers or unique wines if that's your thing so whether you're in the mood for slices or maybe a whole pie, be sure to visit them now at pizzatasio.com. That's pizza, T-A-S-C-I-O.com. I need you guys to do me a couple of favors. Number one, I need you listening to The Drive each day at 2 o'clock. Number two, I need you to tell one friend. You don't got to tell two friends that if you want some of the best pizza in town, and if you want some of the best Super Bowl 58 coverage, you can get that right here at 610 Sports Radio. Also, you know what? Do me a bonus favor. Tell Rob happy birthday again. Rob turned 31 yesterday. He had a nice little dinner with the family. He's going on another dinner today. I'm starting to wonder how much are we paying Rob, but he can just afford all these meals every single day. You get one birthday dinner. 
Rob's like a 26-year-old woman right now. I didn't know you got all week to celebrate your birthday. So tell Rob happy birthday. So I would like to play this audio for you guys. This is from Bob Costas, who might be the greatest living sports broadcaster. He was on television earlier today, and he said this about your Kansas City Chiefs. Nothing else. I think the Chiefs now, it can safely be said, are America's team. The Dallas Cowboys have had that moniker for a long time, and they're still a glamour franchise, but they haven't been to the Super Bowl since the mid-90s. For a hot minute, they were saying Detroit is America's team. For a hot minute. Sentimentally, yeah, they would have been a sentimental favorite if they got to the Super Bowl, and it would have been a great storyline. 49ers are a good storyline, too. But now the Chiefs have been to four of the last five Super Bowls. They have the best quarterback in the game, even though there are others really who are really good. He's exciting. He improvises. He's charismatic. Mm-hmm. They've got him. Andy Reid's been around a long time, went to the Super Bowl with Philadelphia and now with the Chiefs. They've got Travis Kelsey and his romance with Taylor Swift. He yes. was a big deal to begin with, and now it blows up bigger. Yes. Plus the State Farm commercials. Yes. You don't have to know a screen pass from a field goal to know something about the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I understand what Bob Costas is trying to say, but this is where I would disagree with Bob. And I think it's perfectly fine to not be America's team. No one outside of Kansas City wants to see them win anymore. Just think about how tired you were of seeing Alabama and Clemson in the national championship. Or if you really hate Duke basketball or the Yankees or the Lakers, you're tired of seeing them win and you want some new blood. That's how the rest of the country feels about Kansas City. That's a good thing. When I think of America's team, I think of like a lowly underdog that has risen up. The Lions, to Gail King's point, that was America's team. You've never won. America wants to see you win because we love cheering for the underdog. Nobody wants to cheer for Apollo Creed. You want Rocky to win. That's the whole point of the movie. You want to see the underdog triumph in the end. That's not what Kansas City is anymore. That's what they used to be. But you have now evolved into a place that is the best place that you could possibly be in sports. People are tired of seeing you win. You are America's team when you are starting up. You're America's team when you're on your first album. If you're the Kansas City Chiefs, this is your 11th Grammy. You're a household name. You're a brand name at this point. You're not America's team. This is the point that very few people get to cheer for. You know the fans that you make fun of because they're bandwagon fans? How one day they just wake up and they're a fan of a certain NFL team or a certain NBA team? Like, wait, hold on. That's who the Chiefs are now. That's the team that you cheer for. If you have spent your entire childhood hating Duke basketball, you now cheer for Duke basketball. Isn't it great? Your team is always going to win in the end. Your team is always going to be accused of getting the officiating advantage. Your team has the star players. Your team has all the guys that are in commercials. They're not a feel-good store anymore, and that's perfectly fine. It's good. It's good to sit atop the rest of the NFL and look down at all these lowly teams. As their team is getting ready for the Pro Bowl, your team is getting ready for another Super Bowl. As Lamar Jackson is getting ready for the quarterback accuracy test down in Orlando, Florida, your quarterback is still answering questions about how you can take on one of the best teams in the National Football League. Isn't it great? That wasn't the only bit of audio that we got today. We also got Larry David, who might be one of the funniest people that we have. 
He was on CBS Morning as they're getting ready for the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And let me tell you, Rob is pumped, thrilled, could not be more excited about the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David was asked about Travis and Taylor. Here's what he said. You've really got a nerve. You bring it out or not? By the way, I... We weren't going to. I used used the S word once before. On this show some years ago, oh, I'm prepared to use oh, it again no, 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 no. in answer to that question. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's I don't give. Okay. Yeah. okay. Right. Oh, that, okay. A schnoodle. A yeah, schnoodle. A schnoodle. Yes. Okay. Larry David, just always true to the brand. You got to love it. What a guy. One more cut I want to play for you guys is Charles Barkley. Another one of the funniest people that we have. Charles Barkley was asked about this, was asked about Travis, was asked about Taylor. Hey, Charles, what do you think? Charles is one of those people that you want to know his take. You want to know his opinion. You know he has an opinion on everything. Here's what the great Charles Barkley had to say. I'm going to look right in that camera. If you're screaming Uh at Swift saying she ruined her, you're just a loser. Uh, (laughs) You're just a loser or a jackass. You can be A or B. One of the two. One of the two. I don't think I could have said it any better myself. If you are worried about Taylor Swift, you're a loser or a jackass. You can pick which one you want to be. Either one. We don't got to spend too much time on this today. I do have very serious football things to get to. But, Rob, I compiled all the data that we got from the New York Times. You know, they've been keeping track of this thing. I compiled all the data. In the three postseason games that we saw the Kansas City Chiefs play in, She was shown on the screen 17 times for a total of 2 minutes and 25 seconds. That's all Taylor Swift that we got over the three postseason games. And they showed her the most in the Dolphins game because the Dolphins ceased to be competitive. They didn't show her that much in the Bills game because it was close, because it was interesting. They didn't show her a whole lot in the AFC Championship game because it was close. It was competitive. Baltimore had a chance to win that game. They only really showed her in the Miami game because they needed time in the fourth quarter because the game was wrapped up. I can't wait for Taylor Swift to be at the Super Bowl. She's going to be walking around the field before the game. They're going to show her. I can't wait when they do. You know they do this for every Super Bowl. They show you all the celebrities that are at the game, and then she's the last one that they show, and she's sitting there with Roger Goodell, and they're just laughing of all the money that they've made the NFL over the last three months or so. Ah, it's going to be so great. I can't wait for Super Bowl Sunday. I just can't wait for it. She's probably going to have some cool jacket or hat or something. Rob, you know the fit's got to be pristine that she's going to be wearing for Super Bowl Sunday. she got to cheer her man on as he tries to cash in at 16-1 to to win Super Bowl MVP. Coming up on the other side, we will get back to very serious football things. And later today, we're going to catch up with Mike Gennetti. We're actually going to catch up with him in 20 minutes. Mike Gennetti created Track. That is the website that I use to get all my salary cap and contract information. I was kind of getting ready for the offseason a little bit today, and I saw a very interesting name of who the Chiefs could target at wide receiver. I'll tell you who it is. Keep it right here, so drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Your home for Chiefs football in Kansas City is 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. 
Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to head to the phone lines and be joined by Mike Janetti of Track. That is where I get all my salary cap information from. We'll take a little bit of a look to the offseason for the Kansas City Chiefs. This bye week, this rest week, sort of gives us a chance to look big picture with the Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll do that with Mike Janetti coming up in just a little bit. So I saw a very interesting name today as I was getting ready for the show about some free agent possibilities for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the name that popped up was Calvin Ridley of the Jacksonville Jaguars as a wide receiver that Kansas City could bring in next year. I do feel very confident that the Chiefs are going to bring in a veteran wide receiver. They're going to get the MVS contract off the books, and they're going to have a little bit of free agent dollars. Now, we'll see if they spend their first-round pick on a wide receiver. We obviously have a long way until they do that, but I would suspect that there is going to be some veteran in the room next year I don't think that Calvin Ridley is that bad of a name. Calvin Ridley actually had a pretty good season this year. He had a little over 1,000 yards this year, 76 catches, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns this season. Calvin Ridley is only 29 years old. I think he's probably in line to get a good two-, three-year contract from somebody next season. If you're a team like Kansas City and you want to spend – three-year, $30 million deal that's really a two-for-20 or two-for-19 with some guaranteed money, I don't think that's the worst thing that you can do. I mean, he's in line with the kind of receivers that you seem to like, 6'1", 190, a speedster, really good pedigree. He had a really good season this year. I wouldn't be mad at the Chiefs going to get Calvin Ridley this offseason. I mean, I wouldn't be mad, but is he the solution? Like, 29 years old is not, oh, we found the cure to the ill. Maybe it's Ridley, Rice, Kelsey comes back healthy next year and a draft pick and we're having a different conversation. But I feel like while Calvin Ridley is good, the average Chiefs fan would prefer they swing for the fences a little more. Calvin Ridley is you legged out a double because he's 29 years old. He missed a year plus the NFL. He was productive last year, but he wasn't, you know, game changing in the NFL last year. He feels like, all right, you you're not upset with a double. But you feel like you'd like to hit a triple or a home run in that sphere if you can. I don't know that Chiefs fans would be satisfied with Calvin Ridley alone as the solution. Yeah, but I guess I would ask, though, for what you're saying about a home run. Do Chiefs fans want to spend that much money in free agency? Like, I'm seeing, hey, we really want Mike Evans. Well, we just saw what Odell Beckham got in free agency. If you're Mike Evans, why would you take less than what Odell Beckham just got? You saw what DeAndre Hopkins just got in free agency. If you're Mike Evans, why would you take less than what those got in free agency? You definitely can hit a home run in free agency if that's really what you want to do. If you want to swing big and go get one of those premier wide receivers in the game, you absolutely can do so. I just hope you know that it's not going to be cheap to do it. We're a guy like Calvin Ridley. So let's say that, that this is what this team does. Let's say that you go get Calvin Ridley at probably 10 to 12 million and then you spend a first or a second round draft pick and you go get another wide receiver. And your 1 through 3 is Calvin Ridley, Rasheed Rice draft pick. You now have Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony if both of those guys are back as your fourth or fifth option. I assume Justin Watson will be back on the team next year. You can get him at a nothing contract. He also signed a what a two-year deal. So 
it's probably no benefit to cut him next year. Justin Watson comes back as your fourth or fifth reliable option. You got Travis Kelsey that comes back. Maybe you do spend a little bit of money at the running back position where you keep Isaiah Pacheco. Obviously, Clyde is gone. You got Jarek McKinnon dealing with an injury. Maybe McKinnon isn't the one that comes back, and you spend a little bit of money at running back. I don't think that they need to go crazy when we're talking about resources in that wide receiver room. You take a good size swing at a Calvin Ridley. You hit on another draft pick in the second or third round like you did with Rasheed Rice. And I think you're happy with what you have in the wide receiver room. I think Chiefs fans would be skittish of that because of what you said at the end there. You hit on a second round pick like Rasheed Rice again. You said that like it's something that has happened a lot with the Kansas City Chiefs. Brett Veach has taken three second round swings a wide receiver. He's one for three with one person we called a bust back in October and one person who was fine but is maligned by fans. I wonder if Ridley hoping the second round hits and Rice is going to have Chiefs fans be happy on August whatever. I think you almost have to swing a little bigger, lean a little heavier into the free agent name, the known commodity name, because then it takes the pressure off the pick game. The Chiefs in the past did not take the pressure off the pick game, and those misses were more notable by the fan base. There's a reason Sky Moore is hated right now. It's not just his play. It's the fact that he was part of the solution, and he's not. Yeah, I'm with you on Sky Moore. You know, I don't look at McCall Hardman as being that much of a miss. I feel like McCall Hardman is sort of prisoner by the... Well, it was all the problems around Tyreek Hill. You then drafted this player. He was supposed to live up to this expectation, and he didn't live up to that expectation. I think that McCole Hartman, for the most part, has been a decent player in the National Football League. I actually think more than anything with Kansas City, at least when it comes to skill position players, is they just haven't drafted a bunch of them. You take a look at a team like Green Bay, for example. Green Bay has spent a lot of resources over the last couple of years to go get running backs and go get wide receivers. Well, if you draft five of them and you hit on three of them, you feel pretty good about it. If you're Kansas City and you've only drafted four wide receivers really in the last seven years, well, all right, there's a little bit of a void there at the position. Now, we'll see what they do next year. I think they should probably go get another running back. You've got Isaiah Pacheco in in. Reality, you maybe only have two more years left of Isaiah Pacheco when his rookie contract's up. Maybe that's not a guy that you want to pay. So you could maybe start the process of you've got a good 1B, you've got a good uh, good player. So by the time his third year, you move on from Isaiah Pacheco and you start that cycle all over again. And then you take a decent swing at another wide receiver. I just don't see wide receiver now is a position group that they need to go spin. Like if you want to take a big swing, it is an 18 to $20 million swing. I'd rather you keep Snead if you're going to do that. Like, if you're going to spend $18 million on a free agent this offseason, I'd much rather you spend it on maybe the best available corner in free agency, which is the guy that you have, than go give that money to T. Higgins or Michael Pittman Jr. So it sounds like I've already identified we're going to disagree about all offseason long, which is fun on February 1st. Because I think the Chiefs are going to treat wide receiver the way they treated O-line after the Bucks Super Bowl. They're going to gut it and restart. That is, And maybe that includes one $18 million guy. Maybe that includes a trade guy. I think it's going to be si- multiple signings, multi- a draft pick or two. I think right now the YRC room is currently constructed is going to look comically different come training camp. I don't think MVS is back under any circumstance on this team. I don't think Kadarius Tony, Mr. Instagram, is going to come back on this team barring unforeseen circumstances. I don't know that Sky Moore's back, and if he is, it's like the Justin Watson role. Right now, I've pushed three guys out the door. 
I think Rasheed Rice comes back, but I think they're going to sign a big ticket guy or trade a la the Orlando Brown when they redid the offensive line, a draft pick, and then maybe a cheap, savvy veteran move type of deal. The way Brett Veach had an offensive line in 2021 following that Bucks Super Bowl loss where he added Kyle Long, traded for Orlando Brown, brought in Austin Blythe, drafted both Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey. I think that is how he is going to handle wide receiver because a great wide receiver room lessens the load on Travis Kelsey. And what we've seen is when Travis Kelsey is healthy and ready to roll, he's as good now as he's ever been, but you cannot lean on him the same way you did when he was 23 as his when he is 33. Someone on the text line says, see that I love your plan, but I think Ridley is going to be more than $10 million. So I'm looking at sports illustrated right now and what, pro football focus has as their projected contract they have the projected contract for calvin ridley at two years 32 million dollars 21.5 million dollars guaranteed so i know it's a two for 16 but it's really two for 21 with a little bit of sauce on it that's to me about fair for calvin ridley and a contract that i wouldn't have too much of a deal i think 32 is a little bit high for a 29 year old who We all know about his off-the-field issues, and we know the teams are going to use that against Calvin Ridley. And this is a wide receiver class that there's going to be possibly seven get drafted in the first round. It's also kind of deep at wide receiver. He's not a top three free agent wide receiver. Pittman's higher than him. T. Higgins is higher than him. Mike Evans is higher than him. The guy who is the fifth or sixth wide receiver in free agency, that guy's not getting $16 million a year and in a draft class in which we think is as deep and talented. I'm going to guess that you can probably get Calvin Ridley maybe a little bit cheaper than what they think that you can get Calvin Ridley at. Coming up in just a bit, we're going to be joined by Mike Janetti of Track. We're going to get his thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs as we are heading towards the offseason. We are six weeks away from free agency starting in the National Football League. I know we are in the middle of getting ready for the Super Bowl, but after the Super Bowl, I mean, free agency in the NFL starts March 13th. Like, it is not that far off from the combine is about to happen. We're going to see a couple of significant trades that always happen after the combine. And then it's going to be time to really lock in on what the Chiefs are going to do long-term and big picture with LeJarius Sneed and Chris Jones. We'll be joined by Mike Janetti here coming up in just a bit. Rob, if you can, can you pull up a little bit of sad news, a little sad music for me? Because... You guys know that we have kept up on the Independence Avenue Bridge. And we have seen that the Independence Avenue Bridge is maybe better in the clutch than Patrick Mahomes in a two-minute drill. We have seen plenty of trucks try to take on the Independence Avenue Bridge, and they have all come up short. Well, the city is starting to take some measures to deal with this crisis This audio comes from KSHB 41 News. First at 10, it's been truck after truck slamming into the Independence Bridge in Kansas City for years. Finally, a new warning is about to go up. Crews started constructing warning curtains on both sides of the bridge this week. If a truck hits this, the driver knows they'll hit the bridge too. It's just less entertaining for us. If you're on social media, I live for the refresh to see that the bridge has claimed another. I love to see it. 
Now, to my understanding, there haven't been any casualties in this. I don't think anybody's been hurt. You just, you made a mistake. You goofed off. Are these curtains really going to stop people? Is this really the detriment that we think that it is? Is there going to be a truck driver that hits that, understands it's like, oh, wait, let me stop and back up because I'm about to hit the bridge. I don't know. We'll have to see. But what could be and what has been in a, a Kansas City and American staple, it looks like it's out. Now, I don't know why they haven't spent more of these resources. I don't know. Trying to fix some of the potholes, especially in Missouri. It's like playing Frogger out there. Might tear up your whole axle. You got to trade two oxen for new axles in Kansas City because of the potholes. It's bad out there. Seems to me like maybe we could have spent a little bit of time on that before we address the issue with the Independence Avenue Bridge. But, Rob, it doesn't look like the Independence Avenue Bridge is going to get another meal anytime soon. So hopefully it got its fill because it is certainly gobbled up your big rigs. It looks like it is eating its last truck. Coming up on the other side, we're going to head to the phone lines to be joined by Mike Janetti of Track. It is my favorite website for NFL contract and salary cap information and discussion. We're going to ask him about Legereus Need, how much he would get on the open market. Ask him about Chris Jones, how much he thinks that he would get on the open market. And also, what should the Chiefs do? The Chiefs have two premium players that are about to hit free agency. How would he handle it regarding the Chiefs' long-term and the salary cap? That's all coming up. Come right back. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. It's Patrick Mahomes. Catch me every Monday with CDOT during the season on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Let's head to the phone lines right now to be joined by Mike Gennetti of Track. This is where I get all of my NFL salary cap and contract conversations. This is a little bit of a different week. It's a bye week, rest week as we get ready for Super Bowl 58. We'll start to tackle the game more on Monday, but want to take a big picture look at Kansas City is we are not that far away from the offseason. I mean, the offseason for the Chiefs, win or lose, starts in two Mondays from now. And we are six weeks away from the start of the league year. I mean, March 13th, free agency. So the Chiefs are going to have to make their decision on the franchise tag in the next three weeks about what they want to do with Legereus Need, what they're going to do with Chris Jones. They also have some other important free agents that are pretty vital to the team. Drew Tranquil is going to be a free agent. Mike Dana is going to be a free agent. There are a lot of decisions that the Chiefs are going to need to make this offseason if they want to get back to a third consecutive Super Bowl and maybe win three in a row. Let's head to the phone lines right now to be joined by Mike Gennetti. Mike, always appreciate your time. Mike, let's just Think about this team and how they've built it. How crazy is it considering the journey and the ride that we have been on that the Chiefs find themselves back in another Super Bowl? It's a testament to the superstars on this team because they kind of came together at the right time. You saw what happened. Uh, the coaching staff was prepared when a lot of other coaching staffs didn't seem like they were. And uh, this train just keeps on rolling, man. Mike, from a roster building standpoint, can you tell us how this all came together? Obviously, they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey's the first ballot Hall of Famer. But when you look at the salary cap and how they built this roster, how do they do it? Yeah, a little bit here, a little bit there. And, and as you know, it's been well documented. They 
strip back on their weapons in terms of how much that costs them. So when you got a seventh round running back and a bunch of near minimum wide receivers out there, you can fit in an offensive line that has been built properly through the draft, through free agency, and uh, the defensive line with Chris Jones back really made a difference. So it's uh, it's pretty simple. You got a superstar quarterback, and your trenches are defined, and uh, they made it work with everything else. It seems like a lot of it is just drafting and development, and that this team, yeah. as they have transitioned into Patrick Mahomes' big contract, they have done a really good job at getting maximum production on the cheap. You got a guy like Creed Humphrey on the offensive side. You got Nick Bolton. You have those great corners on the outside. This team has really maximized rookie contracts. Yeah, Sneed, Tranquil, you've got value all over this roster, and unfortunately a lot of that's coming to roost this offseason, but you're right. It's been really savvy front office moves, understanding where you can trim the fat a little bit, and they got lucky with some hits for sure. When you mention that a lot of that is going to come home to roost this offseason, what does that mean? The contracts, man. I mean, you know it's coming. Michael Dana, Drew Tranquil, Jarius Sneed, Chris Jones, those are not easy miles to feed right now, and I don't think uh, they're all coming back here for sure. Right now we're talking to Mike Gennetti of Track. This is where I get all my salary cap information from. Let's start with Chris Jones. Obviously there was a lot of friction this offseason between him, the organization, his agency, et cetera. How do you see that situation playing itself out? It's tight. Um, this is the preeminent free agent right now. This is the guy on the top of every list. I don't think the franchise tag is available here with $33 million plus. So what we're talking about is another another round of $30 million per year or a team discount to stick around. He's about a $28 million player in our system. So is, it, is he going to take the discount, or is he going to walk March 13th and become one of the biggest free agents really in the history of the salary cap NFL? When you mention a team-friendly discount, is that in that 26 to 28 region? Because the franchise tag for him – is in the 30s. You and I both agree that if he hit free agency, he would get between 30 to $33 million. Are we talking about a team discount of being 26 to $28 million? Yeah, I think 28 is about right here because, you know, if you're talking about a $5 million discount, maybe they can fortify the guarantees a little bit to make it happen. Certainly they've been incentives before that he's been able to hit. So that's about right, you know, 27 $28 million per I can't see him going lower than that because you're right. He hit the open market. He's $32 million a year. Right now we're talking to Mike Gennetti of Track going through the Chiefs offseason and what they're going to do from a franchise tag contract scenario. Who are the suitors for Chris Jones if he hits free agency? Yeah, plenty, right? I mean, the commanders have cap space. Tennessee has cap space. But if you want to talk contenders here, Houston's in. Detroit's in. And uh, Green Bay is probably so. You're, you're you're talking six teams minimum willing to go thirty million plus, who have cap space to front load that, and really take Kansas City out of this conversation. Let's talk about Legereus Sneed, who has certainly earned himself a lot of money over the course of the last six months or so. He has had a phenomenal year this season. It seems like his number has maybe jumped even more than where Chris Jones is. I understand that corners just make less than defensive linemen, but if we were talking about raises, I don't know if anybody on this team has made themselves more money over the course of the last six months or so than Legereus Sneed. You took the words out of my mouth. I've been on here with a bunch with you, and I think the last time we talked, I was discussing how this guy wasn't a true cornerback one. So to value him as a cornerback one was incorrect. Well, that's 
that's out the window. <laughs> so if he was a $10 million player six months ago, he's $16, $17, 18000000 million a year right now and uh, a quasi-safety in terms of what that money could cost. So you're right. One of the biggest paydays that came from 0 to 100 in this 2023 season, and somebody's going to snatch him up on a huge contract. Yeah, I just look at it where he is 27 years old. He's shown the versatility yeah. to do just about whatever you need him to do. You need him to play outside, he can do that. You need him to play inside, he can do that. You mentioned safety. You need him to blitz off the corner. That age, that production, that championship pedigree and being part of a great defense, that guy gets a lot of money thrown at him coming up in a couple of weeks. Huge, yeah. He's going to walk. He's going to be one of those huge free agents. And it's going to be, you know, the J.C. Jackson-type top-of-the-market contract. Only his is probably going to work out. So I do want to talk about some of the other players. You mentioned Drew Tranquil. You mentioned Mike Dana. We'll get to them coming up in a bit. So let's say that Brett Veach comes up to you and says, hey, you understand the salary cap. How would you make this work? you got Chris Jones, a premium free agent. you got Legereus Need, a premium free agent. You can only franchise tag one of them. You're probably not going to keep both in free agency. How would you play this thing out if you're Kansas City? You know, it's a great way to look at it. With Snead's age, he's probably a more valuable keep at this point in time. His his franchise tag is around that $19 million mark. So we're talking closer to the value. Chris Jones on $33 million plus, that's a really tough way to operate in March with your salary cap, even if he's certainly tagging tradable, right? So I think I'm franchise tagging Legereus Snead, trying to work something out that makes sense for everybody. And I'm just hammering out some kind of near top of the market contract for Chris Jones. But these are two of your preeminent players. So you've got to you've got to prioritize keeping these guys around at least for the first couple of weeks of March. And then if you have to operate with the trade, there'll be teams in on that. How realistic is a tag and trade? Now, obviously with Snead, you're talking about a twenty seven year old and if he gets franchise tag is eighteen million dollars. That's a very easy situation. It's not nearly as easy with Chris Jones. You're talking about a 30-year-old defensive lineman who is going to make at least $30 million next year. His tag-and-trade scenario doesn't seem nearly as straightforward as it does with Snead. Yeah, I agree with you. Not to mention most teams don't have $33 million of cap space to acquire that player on through that trade. So, you're, yeah, I think you're dealing with Snead in terms of the franchise tag. And, if I mean, you don't want to see Chris Jones hit that open market. But you know you have at least, you know, a fallback option on him if he goes out there and you try to work something out through March. Let's say that Chris Jones hit free agency and let's say he signs with the Commanders, a team that you threw out there earlier. What does a Chris Jones free agent contract look like? Yeah, it starts at four for 120. You know, we're, we're getting them back to that $30 million mark. Nick Bosa's contract has only pushed things for, further. So I, I think we're going to be at – Four, four years at $32 million per year, two years fully guaranteed, and that third year vests with some, with some 2025 incentives. But it's, uh, it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. And uh, whoever gets them is going to get two really strong years of a defensive interior alignment. So now talking about Legereus Need, what does a Legereus Need free agent contract look like? Yeah, if he's a $16 million player in our system right now, that means about four for 64. So it, when he hits the open market – things generally go up about $2 million per year. So if he's on $18 million a year, you could probably sneak four or five years because of his age and feel pretty comfortable about it. What does a team-friendly deal look like for Snead? Yeah, I, I don't know that you can dip under $15 million at this point. And I know McDuffie's contract's going to come up, and that's going to counteract what you're doing here. 
but I think you're going to have to be in that four for 60, at least with an initial offer to keep him at least thinking about not hitting that open market. You mentioned some of the other free agents that they have. Mike Dana is a guy who had a really good season. It seems like he can sign like an Emmanuel Ogba deal when he signed with Miami, a two-year, $18 million, two-for-20 kind of deal. You mentioned Drew Tranquil, who signed a one-year deal but has certainly made himself a lot of money with how he's played this year. What about some of their other free agents? What's their value? What kind of contract are we talking about to keep them? Yeah, Tranquil was an out-of-nowhere situation. So the fact that he's going to triple his compensation is crazy. But, I, you know, he's a $7 million player right now. So I'm not even sure that's something you can keep around knowing how many other mouths you have defeated. And Dana have, had a back-to-back really nice season that puts him in that, you're right, that second-tier edge defender conversation. So if we're talking $10 million a year, maybe like a three for 30, that's probably be about right. That is our guy, Mike Gennetti, joining us on the show today. He does fantastic work with Track. That is where I get all my salary cap and contract information from the Chiefs. I know they're headed to the Super Bowl, but they have a very busy offseason plan that right after the Super Bowl is when the NFL offseason starts, and you got to have a lot of these things wrapped up by March 13th. Mike, great information, great insight as always. Appreciate you hopping on today. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Absolutely. That is Mike Giannetti joining us on the show. He'll be on the show coming up after the season as well. But just wanted to take a quick look at the Kansas City Chiefs as we are getting ready for Super Bowl 58 for the Kansas City Chiefs. This is what I think is going to happen with Chris Jones. You guys remember now it was a little bit different because he was franchise tag. And I, I don't think that Chris Jones is going to be franchise tagged. I think in the same way that Kansas City back in 2018 needed Frank Clark and they needed that toughness. They needed somebody who could come in and help transform their defense. And they were willing to spend a lot of money to go get Frank Clark. I think a team is going to look at Chris Jones the exact same way. Hey, we think that we're right there. But we're going to need to make one move that could potentially separate us from the pack. Like Green Bay, to me, makes a lot of sense. They've got a younger quarterback. Now, we'll see what his contract looks like this offseason because I think Jordan Love is going to get a raise, but we'll see how big of a raise that is. If you're a team like Green Bay that you're a playoff team and you're looking to take that next step and get over the hump and get back to the Super Bowl for the first time in, what, 15 years if you were Green Bay, I could see them being a team. He mentioned the Commanders. They have the most cap space in the National Football League. To me, those teams are always dangerous because every year it's always a team like Arizona or a team like Washington that has a lot of money to spend in free agency. Jacksonville was that team a couple of years. I remember they went out and spent a lot of money. They gave Christian Kirk that big contract at the time. I just think if you allow Chris Jones to truly hit the open market for his first time, and you're talking about a guy who's a five-time All-Pro who could be coming off three championships and is looking to change teams, I just think that ends up signing a massive contract and probably gets that four years, 120, maybe that four years, 115, and there is a team that thinks that he is the missing piece to help get them over the hump and get them to the Super Bowl. So you've kind of felt like the way it's going to play out is that Chris Jones won't be a chief on March 25th it's kind of the I think that Chris Jones is playing his last game for the Kansas City Chiefs I think Super Bowl 58 and I mean if they win it is a it is a great send-off you have had a phenomenal year in Kansas City you have played under two contracts 
and two franchise tags with the Kansas City Chiefs. You have won three Super Bowls. You are a Hall of Fame player. Hey, go get your money. And if there's a team that's going to pay you and be the highest bidder, it just makes a lot of sense for you to go sign with that team. I'm bigger on keeping Snead. I think the Chiefs have the best one-two punch at cornerback in the entire National Football League, and it is substantially less to franchise tag one player than the other. The Jones franchise tag is going to be over $30 million. Snead is going to be at $18.1 million if you look at the numbers from last season. So you can franchise tag him at 18. The long-term extension number isn't that far off. And you let Chris Jones walk. You thank him for everything that he's done. You tag Snead. You negotiate a contract where Snead is signed long-term before you get to St. Joe. And now you've got a little bit of money in free agency to spend elsewhere and to improve the rest of your roster. The history is on your side. Historically speaking, Brett Veach targets a certain type, young. In that second contract, he looks for 25, 26, 27. I know Chris Jones not going into a second contract, but he doesn't really keep 30-plus-year-old guys. There are noted extensions that didn't happen in Kansas City. Tyron Matthew comes to mind initially. He had broken that 30-year mark. Hey, thank you for your service. Enjoy your Super Bowl ring. We love you forever, but goodbye. So history's on your side. There's one noted exception to that rule, though. Travis Kelsey. And can you make the argument that Chris Jones is the Travis Kelsey of the defense? You yesterday said he's a Hall of Famer, so much like Travis Kelsey. I would say he's the heart and soul of that defense. And that Frank Clark is gone. He's the guy that brings the juice. And he's a guy who came up through the Chiefs system. He's a homegrown talent. Isn't that what Travis Kelsey was when he was over 30 and looking for his extension? I know the numbers aren't apples to apples, but is it possible Chris Jones is more Travis Kelsey when it comes to extension than he is Tyron Matthew? Yeah, but I think when we talk about Travis Kelsey, though, I think part of it is just we have to acknowledge, at least with Kelsey. I'm not saying that Kelsey hasn't left money off the table because he certainly has. But his franchise tag number has never been as costly as the defensive number. Like if you franchise tag Travis Kelsey, let's say you had done this early on in his career where you know how this works. You are normally fighting off that franchise tag number and what the average for your position is. So the franchise tag number is I'm pulling it up right here. If you got franchise tag, the tight end number is eleven million dollars. That's a little bit more than what running back is, where if you're a defensive lineman, what the franchise tag number is, is 19.7. So I think it's been a little bit different for Kelsey in terms of taking less money and what the franchise tag is, because your position just doesn't get paid a whole lot. Where at defensive lineman, you do get paid. There's no scenario. There's no team in the NFL that would give Travis Kelsey $33 million a year. Despite how great he's been, his track record. You might think Kelsey has two more years left. There's no team in the NFL that would do that. You and I both think there's three to five teams that would give Chris Jones that exact same contract. So I at least think it's unfair to put Chris Jones in that Travis Kelsey argument. Because how the league values the position is drastically different. I... Like I said, I understand it's not apples to apples, but I think it is far more, far more likely the Chiefs view Chris Jones in the same light they view Travis Kelsey than the light they viewed Tyra Matthew, who I'm using as the noted, hey, we love you, we're trying to work an extension, this, that, and the other, and then promptly let him walk in free agency, and a lot of people point to his age. I, I am not as sold as everyone else in the city or the sense I get in the city that Chris Jones is playing his last game in Kansas City. I... I am more open to the notion that he's given the four for 120 here than I think Joe Fan is. I think the question, though, with Chris Jones is 
Do you think that the Chiefs view Chris Jones as the best non-quarterback in the NFL? Because if he is going to sign a long-term extension in Kansas City, by definition, that's what you think he is. Like, I'm going through the average year per value, and all of them are quarterbacks, as you would guess. Burrow, Herbert, Lamar, Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. The highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL is Nick Bosa. That's $34 million a year. You then go down to Aaron Donald, which is $31.6 million a year. Tyreek is the third highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL at 30. If you were signing Chris Jones to that deal, if you were Kansas City, you think that he is the best non-quarterback in the NFL. And you and I both know how the Chiefs are and how they operate. And I just find it hard to believe that they have Mahomes at a relatively, I would say, team-friendly deal. They have gotten Travis Kelsey on a relatively great team-friendly deal. I now don't think that you were paying Chris Jones more than you were willing to pay a Tyreek Hill or more than you were willing to pay any player that you've had. He is great. He is phenomenal. But the business side of football, I think, is just going to win out with him, where if you were Sneed, you can pay Sneed a lot of money, but I would say a relatively good contract. I don't think there's any scenario in which you give Snead 16 to $18 million and you feel bad about that contract. He's 27 years old and has shown you great versatility, can play on the outside, the inside, can play safety, can blitz, can do everything. There is not a scenario to me in 18 months we are looking at the deal for Snead and you regret that deal. Could we not see a scenario in which the Chiefs regret giving a 32-year-old defensive lineman $35 million a year? I can. I think they let Jones walk in free agency, and I think that Snead signs a – I think he gets franchise tagged, and then I think they agree to a long-term extension over the course of the summer. We can take you guys' phone calls on this, 913-586-7610, from what we just heard from Mike Gennetti of Track. If you missed it, we'll play a couple of cuts, what he thinks a contract is worth for Jones, what he thinks a contract worth with Snead. He also threw a couple of teams out there that he thought would make sense for either player. That's coming up. Keep it right here. So drive. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring! 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back into The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. If you just missed it, we'll play some cuts for you here. But we were talking to Mike Gennetti of Track and getting his early thoughts, and we'll certainly do this again before free agency really gets going. But we got a little bit of free time between now and Monday when we really start to dive deep into the game to kind of take a big-picture look at the Kansas City Chiefs. And we are not that far away from free agency. We are three weeks away from the Combine. We are probably, what, three and a half weeks away from seeing big-time moves in the National Football League, and the league year starts March 13th, which I know sounds like it's a long way away, but we are six weeks away from next year in the NFL and the business of the NFL, so we are going to see a lot of decisions. We are going to see Justin Fields get traded here in the next five weeks or so. There's probably a couple other big moves that we are going to see in the National Football League. We are not that far away from NFL news that is not related to Super Bowl 58. So we were talking to Mike Gennetti about some of the deals for some of the top free agents for the Chiefs. I think there's two. I think there's Chris Jones and Legereus Sneed. I think they have two premium players. I think you're going to have to make a decision on which one of them you want to keep. A lot of people are saying, well, what if you franchise tag and sign the other? I don't necessarily see that as being a very realistic option. Just because if you're going to allow an NFL player, especially Snead, so like let's say you franchise tag Jones and you deem him to be the better of the two player. If I'm Snead and I get a chance to hit true free agency at 27 years old, potentially coming off of a Super Bowl, I'm not interested in taking a team-friendly discount with anybody. This is my This is my contract to set up everybody in my family. I've had the team success. It's now to think about myself, think about my family, and what I want to do long-term. I don't think you let a player of Sneed's caliber hit true free agency where 31 teams can bid on him and then think that you were keeping that player in Kansas City. If you franchise tag him, then he stays, and you negotiate based off that deal. But if you're an NFL player and you get a chance to hit free agency and you let other teams whine and dine you and bring you out for a visit and tell you how important you are and how you are the missing piece for them to get to the Super Bowl, you sign with that team. And then you saw a guy like Charvarius Ward. Charvarius Ward was a good corner in Kansas City. He then left Kansas City, went to San Francisco. He became a Pro Bowl and an all-pro caliber player and got a three-year, $40.5 million deal. you got to be looking at that, especially as the salary cap continues to grow and think that some of that money is going to be mine, and it certainly is here coming up in just a bit. So we asked him about how he would handle Snead and Jones in the offseason. Here's what Mike Gennetti of Track had to say. Snead's aged. He's probably a more valuable keep at this point in time. His his franchise tag is around that $19 million mark. So we're talking closer to the value. 
Chris Jones on 33 million plus, that's a really tough way to operate in March with your salary cap, even if he's certainly tag and tradable right now. So I think I'm franchise tagging Legereus Need, trying to work something out that makes sense for everybody. And I'm just hammering out some kind of near top of the market contract for Chris Jones. But these are two of your preeminent players. So you've got to you've got to prioritize keeping these guys around at least for the first couple of weeks of March. And then if you have to operate with the trade, there'll be teams in on that. I'm kind of looking at contracts, Rob, and I look at Marshawn Lattimore. Like that's probably a realistic one for Sneed. Marshawn Lattimore signed a five-year, ninety-seven million dollar deal and got thirty-four million dollars guaranteed. Now that could be a little bit high. It could be a four-year deal that's basically the same, but. You guys know how NFL contract works. I think that's kind of what Snead is worth on the open market. I think that's a more realistic contract to sign if you were Kansas City. Like, if you were trying to make the puzzle fit and try to make the puzzle work, it is certainly much easier to make Snead's contract work just because it is, what, 40% less than what you think Jones is going to sign for. I mean, contractually, yes, I agree. Just it is easier to fit the puzzle pieces of a Sneed four for 16 a year, four for 18 a year, than it is Jones four for 30, four for 33 a year. I agree with you there, but I also think there's more to this than just the contract puzzle. There are more elements at play than just that. And Sneed has been fantastic this season. He's made himself a lot of money, but I know how I just said, historically speaking, maybe Chris Jones breaks the mold. The mold for the Chiefs has been you walk on a play like Legereus Sneed. Basically, every time a corner has come up, the Chiefs have turned their back on him. Now, Sneed's better than most of those players, if not all those players, but I think there's more to this than just the contract number at play. Veach is a walk-on-corner type of guy. No, you're certainly right, but I would say of all the corners that they've had, this is probably clearly the best one that they've had. Like He's a better corner than Charvarius Ward was, where... At the the guys they've had, they've really had two of those decisions. They had Kendall Fuller was one of them, and they had Charvarius Ward. There's, there hasn't been another corner that you were upset or frustrated that they passed on. Sneed's a better corner than both of them. I mean, Ward was an all-pro this year, so it wasn't like Charvarius Ward was He some... wasn't in Kansas City, though. That's Ward fair. was a good player. He then joined San Francisco, and he's blossoming floors. Like, that is what you want for your guys. Like, with Mike Dana, for example... I think you're happy for Mike Dana. You got Mike Dana on a four-year, $3.5 million contract with Kansas City as a mid-round pick. Yo, salute to him. He outplayed that deal. You know how it is. They kind of throw a little bit of extra money in the NFL pool for players like that. He was supposed to make $1 million. He made 2.8 this year. Great player in Mike Dana. You're looking at pro football focus. They have him signing a two-year, $19 million deal and getting 12 and a half guaranteed. Part of why this team has been so successful is you have turned guys like Mike Dana into that. You turn Colin Saunders into a player that the Saints gave a good contract to. You have turned Mike Dana into a contract that people want around the league, that he's a guy. And now you trust your scouting, you trust your development, and you go do it with those kind of players. But I do think you get to a point where you've developed a guy like uh, Legereus Sneed. You've developed a guy like Chris Jones. You've developed a guy like Trent McDuffie. You've developed them. You've developed these great players. You haven't had a problem giving that money to Frank Clark. You didn't have a problem giving that money to Joe Tooney. You didn't ask Joe Tooney to take a team-friendly discount. You didn't have any problem giving Jawan Taylor in dollars. If I've played at this great level, 
I want you to treat me just like you would treat me if I was coming from New England or if I was coming from Jacksonville. I want to get paid like those guys too. Taylor got paid. Clark got paid. It's not that they don't have a problem paying people. They just, at least in this case, they have usually walked on their own guys and just chose to go through the draft, which obviously has worked. They've drafted incredibly well at, at a lot of these positions. It is odd. It is a perplexing thing when you said it. Outside of Mahomes, Kelsey, and, and Jones has gotten his money. I know he's upcoming again, but Jones has been paid. The guys the Chiefs pay are out of the building guys. Like Tyron Matthew, his first contract, paid. Orlando Brown Jr.'s franchise tag was paid. He was a big asset when they added him. Joe Tooney is the most expensive left guard in the NFL. Paid. They paid him. Sammy Watkins, when they brought him in, was one of the more expensive wide receivers in the NFL at the time. Paid. They do seem to have a propensity to say, hey, if you're on the team, team friendly, but if you're coming into the team, here's the bag. This is an odd thing I've never noticed until you pointed it out. I don't even mind it. It's just funny because no one ever asks, like, hey, Jawan Taylor, why didn't you take a team friendly discount? He got $20 million a year. What was the team friendly discount for Jawan Taylor? There was not a team that was going to give Jawan Taylor 24. And he was like, nah, you know, I'm signing in Kansas City. That's not what free agency is. If you get a chance to hit free agency, then you go, you cash out. Like, that is what you get as an NFL player. You don't get too many chances at these big time deals. You get one, maybe two of them if you are an NFL player. This is the goal of you being an NFL player. You got to think about it. Your salary is really capped when you get into the league. And you can't renegotiate that deal for the first, what, three, four, maybe five seasons. So by that point, you're 28 years old. Man, I got one chance to really get paid in this game and make $60, $70 million if you're a player. And who knows what happens? You sign that deal and you get injured and it changes the course of your career. So when you got a chance to bite out of that free agency, Apple, I'm not faulting any player in the league from going out there and getting absolutely paid when you got the chance to do so, which Jones has a chance to get his last big contract and Snead has a chance to get a big contract this offseason in free agency. Speaking of Chris Jones, you and I were talking about this yesterday about him as a potential Hall of Famer. I think I found the Hall of Fame comparison for Chris Jones. I'll tell you who it is. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. 
I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Kansas City, it's Willie Gay Jr. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Before we talk about very serious football things, this just came across my email. We have the official odds, Rob, of the first song performed by Usher at halftime of Super Bowl 58. Yeah and My Way are the betting favorites at plus 225, so a little bit more than 2-1 to one odds. DJ Got Us Fallen in Love is plus 500. Love in this club is post 600. OMG is plus 800. Superstar is 11 to 1. Burn is 12 to 1. And my boo with him and Alicia Keys, 20 to 1. Rob Brent, I'm going to give you a $10 free play. I'm going to give you a $10 fan duel free play. What are you betting on as Usher's first song? What was the plus 500 one? DJ got us falling in love. That's what I'm playing my $10. Big hit, big reward. It's a good money, a little bit off the beaten path, upbeat, positive vibes, gets the people going in Vegas. Maybe he pops in with someone else in that flow ride in him at the same time. Maybe he pops in there, maybe a surprise guest. I'm going to say DJ got us falling in love again, coming in at number one. You're about to pick the favorite, aren't you? Don't pick the favorite. There's I no told fun. you since then, I think that my way is going to be the first song performed at the Super Bowl at plus 225. I certainly hope that he doesn't start with DJ Got Us Fallen. I hate that song. Just absolutely hate that song. That's not the usher that I want to hear at the Super Bowl, man. I'm not asking him to go up there and do R&B ballads. I understand that's not what he's going to do. We're starting off with OMG? With Will I Am? That's not what I want. No. Let me ask you a question. Plus 800, though. What are the Swifties' favorite songs from Usher? Because that's the audience we're pandering to at Super Bowl 58. Because the answer is OMG. The Swifties love a nice DJ guy's falling in love again. They don't know nothing about my way. Someone said there's no odds on you make me want to. Yeah, I don't think you're starting your Super Bowl set with you make me want to. That might be sprinkled in. That sounds like song number four. You know what I mean? Also, someone points this out. Vegas, the club, the whole the whole aura of the area. Loving this club just fits. You think that's how he starts? That's how he starts. He comes out with loving this club. Okay. All right. Well, I just I'm here to pass that information on to you guys. I like my way at uh plus two twenty five. That's what I'll be uh I'll be laying a little a little wager on. A little plus two twenty five my way. I don't think my way. DJ got us falling in love. That's sick. 
my brother. That's sick. DJ it's guys falling in love again. Absolutely sick. We got Peter King coming up in a bit. Let's ask Peter King what he thinks. Hey, Peter King, what what do you think the first song of the Super Bowl is going to be? I'm sure he probably knows. You should rephrase it. How many Usher songs do you know, Peter <laughs> King? <laughs> All right. So very serious football things. You know, we were talking about Chris Jones yesterday. And if you were the best defensive player of a dynasty, then you go into the Hall of Fame. You know who I think is the best Hall of Fame comparison for Chris Jones? I think it's Richard Seymour. Now, I was doing some reading yesterday, and I was kind of looking through Hall of Fame players because at first I was looking at the Cowboys, like, hey, who is that Cowboys player? And I was looking at Charles Haley, and I was like, no, I don't think that's who it is. And then I was like, oh, wait, let me go to the Patriots. And then I went to Richard Seymour. Now, Rob, you know that I'm real big. You know I'm real big on accolades, and what did you accomplish? Listen to Richard Seymour. He is a three-time Super Bowl champion. He is a five-time All-Pro. He has made the Pro Bowl seven times. He is also on the NFL 2000s All-Decade team. He is a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Now, a lot of you are going to ask about sacks because I keep saying that Chris Jones, or I keep seeing Chris Jones has to get to 100 sacks. Richard Seymour has 57 and a half sacks in his NFL career, and Richard Seymour is in the Hall of Fame. Richard Seymour obviously was a great player. I don't think, like, I think we're now treating 100 sacks like it's 600 home runs and it automatically gets you in. I don't think you have to get to 100 sacks if you were Chris Jones and you have been an all-pro five times and you are widely regarded as the second best defensive tackle of your generation, of your era, and you were a part of every Chiefs team that went to the Super Bowl. It's not like Tyra Matthew. Tyra Matthew was on a team, but he wasn't on the team last year that won the Super Bowl. He's not on this year's team. Chris Jones has been a critical member and has been the best defensive player on now four Super Bowl appearance teams and could be the best player on three teams that win a championship. I don't think that that player has to get to 100 sacks. I think if you're him, you get 91 career sacks. You've got a lot of accolades. I'm looking at Richard Seymour. He never won defensive player of the year, didn't win defensive rookie of the year. He was just a really, really strong player. And now I'm looking at that all-decade team because, you know, I'm big on the all-decade team. If you make that, you usually go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So he was first, he was first team. I think we agree. First team all-decade defensive tackle is probably going to be Aaron Jones or uh, uh, Aaron Donald, right? I think Chris Jones is going to be the other one. So Warren Sapp was first team, and then Richard Seymour was the other one. Both of them are in the uh, Hall of Fame. I'm looking at the entire first team, all 2000s defense. All of them are in the Hall of Fame, but Dwight Freeney, who was once again a finalist. So looking back at that 2000s all-decade team, Dwight Freeney and Michael Strahan, and then the second team was Julius Peppers and Jason Taylor. I think that Julius Peppers gets in this year. I also think that Dwight Freeney gets in this year. D-tackle, it was Warren Sapp and Richard Seymour. It then at linebacker was Derek Brooks, Ray Lewis, and Brian Urlacher. You would put those linebackers in any era. At corner, you had Champ Bailey and Charles Woodson. At safety, you had Brian Dawkins and Ed Reed. I think that Chris Jones is in this conversation. I think he's in this category of players. He certainly is a Zach Thomas, DeMarcus Ware kind of player. I think that Chris Jones is going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Beyond the stats and accolades, the criteria you've been using for the Hall of Fame, and I'm saying the same criteria that the committee or the voters hold is the same as you, but when you've pushed back on people like Matt Stafford, people like Matt Ryan being in the Hall of Fame, 
people of that ilk. You've always had the thought, hey, was that guy considered one of the top players at his position in the time that he was on the NFL? Chris Jones passes that criteria because right now he is the, I would say right now he's the best defensive tackle in football. I think he has surpassed Aaron Donald. Now, age and father time, the whole deal, I get that. Aaron Donald has been better over his career than Chris Jones, but in 2024 and 2023, Aaron Donald was the inferior to Chris Jones. If you are the best at your position for an era in the NFL and you are doing it on a team that is racking up Super Bowls on your success, it's not like he's great on the Colts. No, the Colts unfair. He's great on the Panthers, but they stink every year. I think you have him in the Hall of Fame. I also think it's Pretty easy to put him in the Hall of Fame with a Super Bowl win. That's three Super Bowl championships, what, five Pro Bowls, multiple All-Pros. He still has his multiple years left on his resume. I don't understand the pushback on Chris Jones. He seems like an obvious Hall of Famer to me. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think I think if you were only comparing him to Aaron Donald, then you are just wrong in that. Like someone yesterday, I was having the conversation, and they sent me Reggie White and Aaron Donald. I'm not saying that's who he is. Like We're talking about two guys that are, if you made the all-22 all-time, both of them, well, Aaron Donald is for sure on the list, and Reggie White absolutely could be on the list. Like If you were making the all-time NFL all-22 list, so Tom Brady is the quarterback on that team, Barry Sanders is the running back, Jerry Rice wide receiver, you guys get what I'm trying to say. I'm not arguing that Chris Jones is in that conversation. But if you were arguing about one of the best defensive players of all time and whose accolades stack up with some of the greats of all time, I don't really know how you could argue that Jones. I mean, he's probably already there, and we're just having this conversation to have it. But I just don't know how you couldn't look sort of at his accomplishments, what he's done, how he compares to all of his peers. And other than Aaron Donald, give me who his contemporary has been. Like you would probably say Fletcher, Fletcher Cox, Cox would yep. be one of them. He is he has a better career than Fletcher Cox. Maybe you would think Haloti not. Like you can just think of those guys. He's been better than DeForest all of those Buckner, guys. but again, he's been better than DeForest Buckner. Like we can play the game all day of naming good defensive tackles in the NFL. Eric Armstead's good for the Niners to compare to the upcoming Super Bowl. Chris Jones has been better than his contemporaries. And I don't think Chris Jones is like, I'm not, there's no rumor he's retiring. So there is still data he Heck can no, he, add on to his resume. He there's definitely still, ain't retiring with that bag coming uh, up. There's still accolades he can continue to rack up. It's not like, hey, the Hall of Fame is going to vote on February 1st, 2024. He still has more data points to plot. I, I don't understand how Chiefs fans, because it must be the contract. It has to be the contract because Chiefs fans on one hand go out of the way to love their players. And then we do a topic, Chris Jones, a Hall of Famer, and we get pushed back. No, you guys are nuts. What are you doing? He's got to get 100 sacks to go in the hall. It can't be both. It has to be the contract that has soured fans on him because he seems like an obvious Hall of Famer to me. Rob, you know what? I need a little bit of music, if you can, because I want to ask you a question about your life and how you handle things. So in 2022... They said that they believe the average person spent $88 for Super Bowl Sunday. That number has now been bumped up, as you guys would imagine, you know, inflation and all. They now believe that the average person spends around $116 for the Super Bowl. 
this has to only be if you are hosting the Super Bowl party, right? Like, if you are the home team for the Super Bowl party, which I am never the home team for the Super Bowl party. I'm the visitor. Oh, it's great to be the visitor. But, yeah, if you're the home team, yeah, you probably do spend, I would say, on the low end, between $100 and $150 for a Super Bowl party. Pizza, wings, you got to make something. You make some rotels, some dip. People bring their own drinks, etc. Yeah, that's probably on the low end. There ain't nothing better than being the visiting team for Super Bowl Sunday. You know what I mean? You show up. You show up with a bottle of wine and a six-pack. That's all you need. So hearing that some of you spent $116 on average for the Super Bowl is mind-blowing to me. The Super Bowl cost me about $25 every single year. I'm going to the store. I'm picking me up a six-pack of something from Boulevard. Everybody loves a lemon rattler. Everybody loves a nice strawberry quirk. I'm showing up with the strawberry quirk. I'm showing up with a nice bottle of wine for the host. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks a bunch. It's great to be here and watch the game for you. Super Bowl Sunday, Rob, cost me about $25. So I have two answers to the question, because I would have told you before I was happily engaged in seeing someone seriously, I was in your vein. I had a one-bedroom apartment. I couldn't host. Easy road team energy. It was easy show up with, hey, I got, you know, a 12-pack of Boulevard Wheat. I got an 18-pack of Coors Light. Have at it, boys. Let's get after it. Maybe it's you bring a something or other, but it was relatively cheap. Show up, hang out, and then you're out of there. You know, maybe you put a little money on squares, but that doesn't really count as part of the process. I'm now happily engaged and have a home, which means I'm far more likely to host. You're hosting it now. And as a host, number gets bigger fast. Because even if you're asking people to bring foods, you got to provide some level of food. Even if you're asking people to bring booze, you got to provide some level of booze. Plus, there's, you know, things like ice. What if someone wants cocktails versus beer? There's hidden expenditures. So I would say 100 to 115 is closer to the number as a host. But I would say as a guest, you can get in for 2025, no problem. Someone on the text line says, CDOT, you're being cheap. Don't bring any wine to my house. What am I supposed to bring to this thing? I brought a six-pack for the fella. And then for you, for Caroline, hey, Caroline, I brought you a bottle of wine. I would like for you to try this. This is a good $16 wine that I brought for you. And then I brought a $10 six-pack from Boulevard. So, yeah, I'm, I'm usually getting out of this for about $30. Now, someone said, see, now you're looking at this wrong. If you bring booze aside and then you buy some squares or gamble, it's about $100 on that. So I don't count that as part of what they're talking about. Sure, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to spend more than that. But when I lay the gamble down, the plan is that I'm going to get the money back. Like, I'm not making a donation to FanDuel. The plan is that I'm going to put up the 100 and I'm trying to turn that $100 into $210 to pay for all the other things that I've done over the course of that. So I just look at that being as a little bit differently. Oh, but this year I'm bringing, I'm bringing a nice six-pack of Quirk. I've been really heavy on drinking the Quirks now. Like, if I'm going somewhere, hand me a can of that Quirk. I'm taking a Quirk. I'm taking a bottle of wine, and I'm bringing some of that Daisy Dip. And I feel like I've done my part for the Super Bowl shindig. If everybody does that for the Super Bowl party that you're hosting, if you are hosting, you have made the social contract that you're paying for the pizza, that you're paying for the wings, that you got the pulled pork slider. 
You don't expect me to bring the turkey on Thanksgiving, so I know you ain't expecting me to bring the 40 wings for your Super Bowl party. That is what you signed up for when you chose for us to watch the game over here. Two things. One, I think the host in charge of, like, the entree. Like, if you bring wings, like, as a side item, cool, but I got the pizza. If you're going to bring, a you know, a, a nice Rotel, that's fine. I got the I got the wings. I'll hook it up. I'll get some tacos and some sliders. I got something as the main course. But you can't bring Daisy Dip, which is game-changing flavor, by the way. Just Yo, incredible. Oh, absolutely game-changing flavor. You can't bring a nice Daisy Dip and not bring chips. Uh-uh. You can't put on the host okay, to handle fair. chips. No, you're making good points. I at least got I got a head of ruffles to go with it. You got to finish the job. Okay. You, you can't bring the ball to the five no, and say you know we're what? scoring. I'm, I'm, wrong. I'm wrong here. Now, I was just going to bring the Daisy Dip that we already got here and hope that you already got the chips. That you already got the chips going. Somebody said a nice Rotel. Y'all don't have Rotel at the function? I 100% have Rotel. Yeah, what kind of? That's a standard. That's 100% standard. If it's going to be on football Sunday, whether on September 13th or February 13th, a nice Rotel just gets the people going. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm starting to learn, man. I don't even know if this is too America. Some of y'all, it just it doesn't sound very fun to eat over you guys' house. It doesn't sound fun to eat over there on Thanksgiving with some of the stuff. If you don't have a good Rotel... I need that. See, I usually eat in waves at the Super Bowl shindig. Like, I might get the Rotel, like, third quarter. Like, when I get there, first place I'm going is, where the pizza, where the wings? I'm going to get a couple of slices. I'm going to load my wings up. I'm going to get myself something to drink. And then, you know, third quarter after I ate a little bit, I, you know, hey, let me just snack for the second half. I'm going to just go ahead and eat the nice Rotel dip. You know what I mean? Go ahead and get the little – I like the little – uh the ones, the scoops with the bowl. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. I need them. Can I ask you a question? Are you a, I've done both. Are you a Super Bowl at the house person or Super Bowl at a bar person? Because I've done both. And I'm yeah, I, I go to a house with the same people every single year. Okay. Every single Have year. Have you never done the bar then? Never been out like to like a, you know, a Johnny's or a Tanner's or something for a Super Bowl? I haven't watched a Chiefs game. Not at my house or somebody else's house in probably like 10 years. I just, I get why people do it. I don't need me watching the Chiefs game to be the club. I really don't. I don't need you to turn music on during the commercials. I don't need to take shots after every, I don't need to do all that. I'm okay. I'm just here to watch the game. And I want to watch the game with people that also want to watch the game. Like I want to talk to you about, hey, what would you do on this third down? Oh, it's a fourth down. Would you go for it? Should they go for two? I want to have those conversations. I want to laugh together at the commercials. I want us to all be watching the halftime show together and talking about it and having a good time. I'm not, I'm not here for my Super Bowl or any game experience. I'm not here for it to be like the club. And I get it. If that's how you enjoy watching football, that sounds great. But all your Chiefs watch parties sound absolutely terrible to me. I think for a Super Bowl, the bar stinks. Like, I would never go to a power and light to watch the chiefs that feels like the non chiefs, excuse me, like Rams and Bengals. Oh no, that's at the house of Palooza. That's we're staying in incorporated, but I understand the allure of being out for a chiefs game because the minute the chiefs game is over, that super bowl bar pivots fast to celebration of Palooza. And suddenly you're popping up on Fox, you're popping up on NBC and you're already out having a grand old time when the chiefs have had a victory super bowl, as opposed to, all right, let me pack up the house, 
We've had our wins. Let's see if I can slink down to an O'Dowd's for a cocktail to celebrate. I get it for a Chiefs game being out. I want to play this audio for you guys. This is Cam Newton. Cam Newton has a, I don't know if I would say very successful podcast, but people like Cam Newton's podcast. They like his work. He's doing a, he's made a great transition to being a YouTuber and a podcaster. He ain't a big Brock Purdy fan. <laughs> Listen to what he said about Brock Purdy. I've never said that Brock Purdy was trash. What I did say is Brock Purdy is a game manager. That's not hate. That's just what I feel to be facts. But I still reserve the right to say this. To be labeled a game changer, Brock Purdy has to be the best player on the offensive side of the ball. Mm. And that's not the case. And who's the best player? Christian McCaffrey. Hmm. Man, look, I ain't recanting. And if you really want to just be honest, if you add in a defensive talent and you add in an offensive talent, Brock Parity is the 10th best player on this team. Okay, cool. Did he have a great game? Yes. Is he been playing out of his mind? Yes. Is he a quarterback that's hot? Yes. Yes. But he's still the 10th best player on his team. All right. Now, I do think that there is some truth in what Cam Newton is saying. I think 10th is a little bit low on Brock Purdy, but I'm not here to argue if he's the 7th best player or the ninth. I'm not that invested, I promise you. But I guess the thing to me about Brock Purdy is I don't know why that's not okay with him. Now, there are obviously a lot of teams where their quarterback is their best player. Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore. Like we, We can go through the teams. I don't think there's that many teams, though, where the quarterback is their best player. I think Brock Purdy, and the best analogy that I can make is, I think he is a great pass-first point guard. I think if you put him in a good situation like they obviously have created in San Francisco, I think he is one of the better and more consistent quarterbacks that we have in the league. I think when we have these franchise quarterback conversations, we at least need to acknowledge There are not many people that fit even our own criteria for what a superstar franchise quarterback is. Like if I ask you about Trevor Lawrence, it would be split, right? Some of you believe in Trevor Lawrence and think he's that guy. Some of you side with me and think that Trevor Lawrence is one of the more overrated players in the National Football League. That's the fun of it. That is a debate. I don't really hear many people call Trevor Lawrence a game manager, where if I showed you Trevor Lawrence statistics, it looks very game manager-ish to me. I think a lot of it is just perception with Brock Purdy, and he has become the most polarizing player in the National Football League from a play standpoint. And every game, we are nitpicking with the fine-tooth comb what kind of player he is. I think we all know what he is, though. Brock Purdy is fine. He's fine. He's fine. He is a more than capable quarterback, and with the right team and the right situation, he can be good. But the thing is, that's the team that he's playing for. Like, we don't have to play this hypothetical with Brock Purdy if you took him off San Francisco and put him on Washington, but it's the team that he plays for. Yeah, you're right. If you switch Sam Howell and Brock Purdy, Now, I don't think Sam Howell would be doing what Brock Purdy is doing, but Brock Purdy wouldn't be having this level of success. But I think that's the case with a lot of quarterbacks in the league. Like, How many guys 
in the league at quarterback do you truly believe are game-changing players? And I think the answer is less than seven. Like, I just don't think it's that many of them. I think there's like four or five. There's 32 teams in the league. And most quarterbacks in the NFL are like Brock Purdy. That if you get him the right coach, if you draft well around him, which San Francisco has done, if you develop around him, you can make it work. And that is exactly what they have done. They have made it work. And they are one game away from winning the Super Bowl with their formula. Their formula works. They were one game away from winning the Super Bowl with the quarterback who was just older Brock Purdy. I think he's just fine. I don't even say that as like a knock. I I think Brock Purdy is a good, more than capable quarterback. More than capable. I think he has proven that so far. And I think he's earned that respect over the first two years of him being a starting quarterback. Like for the most part, he hasn't even been an average starting quarterback. He's been good. Since he has taken over as a starter, Brock Purdy has been one of the 10 most productive quarterbacks in the National Football League. I just think we should treat him as such. Now, he's on the low end of that. He's probably the ninth most productive quarterback in the league. But we don't have to talk about Brock Purdy like he's a bum. I think he's capable. We got Peter King of NBC Sports coming up in about 20 minutes. Keep it right here. So drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. The home of the Royals is 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. We got Peter King coming up on the show in about 15 minutes or so. Three things that I'd like to talk about that we were just talking about in our previous segment that I'd like to bring to this one. So we were going through a study that said that the average person spends around $116 for the Super Bowl. Now, I think it is a major difference if you are hosting versus not hosting the watch party. So I was saying that I am always the visitor. I host the AFC championship games, the AFC and NFC, but for the Super Bowl, I am then the visitor. I don't mind. I like being the visitor for the Super Bowl. But if I am going to your Super Bowl party, I am bringing two things. I am bringing a six-pack of whatever I'm feeling at the time from Boulevard, and I'm usually bringing a bottle of wine for the host. Hey, you know what? I appreciate you making your home available to us. Thank you for having us. I really like this wine. I would like to give it to you as a gift and appreciation of you allowing me to come to your Super Bowl function. Someone on the text line said, remind me to never invite you cheap asses anywhere. Good grief. What is your responsibility if you are the visitor to the watch party? Because I would say if you are the host and you are now counting on me to help supply the food for it, then you shouldn't be the host for the Super Bowl function. If you need me to bring the pulled pork sliders to your watch party, you are the one that's trying to get off cheap here. You signed up to be the home team. If you sign up to be the home team for one of these kind of things, I think you are in charge of the food. Now, maybe you communicate, hey, Rob, you make a great buffalo chicken dip. Can you bring the buffalo chicken dip? That's cool. I don't think you have to bring the bu- the buffalo chicken dip and you got to bring a six-pack. Your appreciation of coming to the function, if, if you watch the event with eight people and everybody brings something within the 
15 to $25 range, I usually think that's good. But I actually think that you're trying to be cheap if you're the host. If you're now trying to, hey, Carrington, can you grab a couple of pizzas? No, that's your job. When you signed up to be the home team, baby, I'm not making the wing stop run. That's your job. You go make the wing stop run. You need to be the one out back cooking the ribs and the chicken and doing all those things. That's not my job. My job is to bring the liquor. You don't got to supply any extra liquor. My job is to bring that. Rob, your job is to bring that. But I actually think you're you're trying to get off cheap if you're the host, and now you're trying to pawn some of the food off on me. I would say as the host, the rule we keep in our house when we have to watch, watch parties is the entree is on us. So like the pizza, if we're doing wings, like peanut, wing stop, whatever, that's on us. If we're doing like a slider or something like that, the the entree falls on to us, but like I might communicate, Hey, can you bring a Daisy dip? Hey, yeah, can you bring yeah, a that, Rotel? That's fair. I don't mind that. Can you Buffalo chicken? Hey, can you bring a dessert? Like we try to do the entree and a side or maybe a dessert, but there's a thought that it'll fill in when other people bring their own stuff. But I'm also supplying some level of beer for people. But if you have a niche, like, like let's say you come to my house, you might not like my bourbon barreled IPAs that I have in the fridge. Oh, hell no. That's fine. Don't drink them. But you, then you, you're you be drinking that during the game? Oh, it's, it's a time. Okay. It's you get, A lot of things are starting to make sense. You got to put it in a glass when well, we talk about this. It makes sense. You're telling me you're watching the game. You, what, what are you, what's going on over there? A nice bourbon a barreled IPA? Uh, what is it? What are you drinking? A bourbon barreled IPA. <laughs> it's an IPA. Are you front. trying to go to sleep in the second quarter? <laughs> Are you trying to go to sleep? <laughs> I hope you know. I hope Bing, Bing bring one the, brings one of those tomorrow. I just want to see it hit your lips. Just see what happens. <laughs> I just don't understand. I don't get what's going on here. Uh, someone we were talking about Brock Purdy in the comments from Cam Newton, and someone said, "CDOT, you can't just look at the stats. The eye test counts as well." You mentioned Trevor Lawrence. He is being asked to do more for his team than Brock Purdy is. Trevor gets his stats by being the guy in Jacksonville. Purdy gets his stats by being asked to play well when they need him. If Trevor was in San Francisco, how do you think he would do? But to me, that argument usually lets players like Trevor Lawrence off the hook for just being average. Like, a lot of it to me is perception and where you get drafted. That this season in the National Football League, Brock Purdy had a higher completion percentage. Brock Purdy threw for more yards. He threw for more touchdowns and fewer interceptions than Trevor Lawrence. Yet he is the one that gets all the questions of the world. And we allowed Trevor Lawrence to just, oh, I mean, he's a franchise guy. You got to pay him. Oh, you got to fire the coach. It's not on him. Wait, hold on. These two guys play the same position in the same era of the NFL. Brock Purdy has been better than Trevor Lawrence the last two years in the NFL. He has been a better player. I don't hear near the amount of questions about Trevor Lawrence that I hear about Brock Purdy. Every game, if if Brock Purdy throws an interception, oh, he stinks, get him out of here. I love uh, Andrew Filippone. You know that's my guy. Pony from uh, Pittsburgh. Before the AFC or NFC championship game, me and him were talking and he said that he, if, if they had lost the game, he thought they should have went out to go get Russell Wilson. We never have this conversation about any other young quarterback in the league besides Brock Purdy, where to me, a lot of it is where he got drafted. If Brock Purdy, the same player had been drafted in the second round, we would not talk about Brock Purdy this way. Some of it is just how unbelievable it is that they hit on quarterback so late in the draft. 
and you're not supposed to hit. You're not supposed to have a quarterback as good as Brock Purdy where he was drafted. That's a guy that just ends up never being heard from again or a guy that ends up being on the practice squad or a guy you only see in preseasons. You're not supposed to go to the Super Bowl with the last pick in the draft. If Brock Purdy, the same player out of a major college, it ain't like Brock Purdy went to some UMKC tech. He went to Iowa State University. If he was the 57th overall pick, we would not talk about Brock Purdy this way. We talk about how smart San Francisco was and how they saw him, drafted and developed him, how great he was, and we'd be arguing about paying Brock Purdy. I 100% believe that about him. I think we'd still point out his limitations in that world, though, because, like, the text line made this comparison. I think it's fair. But really quick, then, sorry to cut you off. But we talk about the limitations with 27 quarterbacks in the National Football League. That's probably fair. Like, there's only four or five quarterbacks that we don't talk about their limitations. We talk about the limitations of the current NFL MVP. Lamar Jackson is going to win the MVP on Thursday. We talk about his limitations. So that's not a thing that's unique to Brock Purdy. I was going to say, because I think if he was drafted in the first, second, or even early third, we talk about him the way people talk about a Dak or a Daniel Jones or a Kirk Cousins. It's great, but what happens when he gets that real money? How's the team affected? He's a game manager, this, that, and the other. But you're right. I think his draft status or draft profile has changed the conversation around him. I am fascinated by what happens long-term with Purdy because I would imagine, I wasn't doing radio in 2001, but I imagine oh one a lot of these Purdy conversations echoed Brady conversations. Well, let's see what happens with an elite defense. Let's see what happens with this, that, and the other. I think those things were happening for Tom Brady, a sixth-round backup pick in New England, but he became the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm curious if Purdy can bury this narrative or if he just ends up being exactly what people think he is, a late-round pick who thrives because there's talent around him. When the talent around him begins to dry up, his talent dries up too. I want to read this to you. I know we got Peter King coming up. When I host for the Super Bowl, I usually spend around $300. I ask the guests to bring liquor. Just don't buy and bring cheap liquor. What would qualify as, like, cheap liquor for you, Rob? Like, let's say that I'm coming over and I bring a bottle of Tito's. Does that count as cheap no, liquor? No, no, Tito's is nice. Let's yeah, see. but Tito's also isn't expensive. I would say, I, let me Like, get right it. now, you can get a, you can get a one-and-a-half liter bottle of Tito's for $28. That is not expensive. I would say anything that you buy at a bar that's considered the well. So, like, if you brought Evan Williams to my house as whiskey, no, that's cheap. Don't do that. Just bring Jack Daniels. Like Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels is probably the 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 lowest hurdle to clear. Okay, yeah, I, just, I was wondering. That what counts as number. cheap. Yeah, it's a notch above your Evan Williams. So if I bring gate, uh, if I bring Grey Goose to the function, yeah, that's okay. Check a box, which and is we'll, the twenty dollar bottle. I'm gonna say, do people think Grey Goose is yeah, cheap? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't know what counts as cheap liquor. Like I got to bring a hundred dollars scotch to watch the game with you. I don't know. I don't know what counts as cheap. Like, you don't need the to. The text line is always rich uncle money bags yeah. when it comes to this, but then they get mad about $15 to park at a baseball game. Like, oh, I don't want to go to the game. It's $15. If you bring Kirkland, But you're only drinking $60 pours of scotch. If you bring the Kirkland tequila, get out. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Now you, yeah, you're going crazy. Like, you can get Grey Goose for $23 at Walmart. That counts as the good stuff? That's what we're drinking? I mean, the finest of Grey Goose? There's name cachet, so yes. Okay, I just didn't know. I, I just asking. I, that's, why I would, that's why I was coming to you. I didn't know. Because I'm, I'm bringing the $16 bottle of wine. That's what I'm bringing. I'm bringing that, and I'm bringing the $10 six-pack. I might just go to the Grand Slam down the street and grab you an Angry Orchard off the thing, and I'm pulling up. 
smiles and all. Coming up on the other side, we'll be joined by Peter King of NBC Sports. Come right back. It's the draft. I am very excited to be joined by our next guest. On the line is our Odyssey NFL insider, Peter King. All of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. He is with NBC Sports. For my money, he is the best sports writer covering the National Football League. Peter, happy to have you on today. Hey, good to be on with you, Carrington. How are you doing? Absolutely, Peter. I'm going to guess that it's been a long time since you've been to a Super Bowl watch party. But let's say that you did. What is a snack that you need at your Super Bowl watch party? Because I love a good buffalo chicken dip. Uh, you know, the crazy thing is I've never been to one. So I don't know. I Look, I'm going to be really, really boring and say... Just give me a really good cheeseburger, medium well, and I would like on the side some very crispy, well-done fries. And then you can just leave me alone for the next four hours. I will not be bothered. I won't bother anyone. I'll just be happy as a lark the rest of the time. No, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Right now we're joined by Peter King of NBC Sports. Let's go back to the AFC Championship game really quickly. Peter, my biggest takeaway from the game was I saw a team in Kansas City that has really leaned into what their formula is. They have utilized Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, and they have run the ball very well with Isaiah Pacheco, and they have just cut a lot of the turnovers and mistakes that they made over the course of the regular season out. I'm still not sure what the game plan was for Baltimore. They only called three runs in the second half of that game where Baltimore got to this point but didn't do any of the things that helped them be the best team in the regular season. That's my biggest takeaway from the AFC Championship game. My biggest takeaway, Carrington, was that um, I thought that uh, Lamar Jackson was tentative. Part of that was Steve Spagnuolo uh, throwing, I think, look, one of the things, one of the reasons why Steve Spagnuolo is great and by the way, I'd probably have gotten five, six, seven, five at least uh, emails to my column this week <clears throat> saying either uh, Steve Spagnolo, you know, might be Super Bowl MVP, so great, or is there a way to get Steve Spagnolo consideration for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Can assistant coaches make it? And of course they can. They usually don't, but I mean, they never have, but, but I think one of the things that Spagnolo does so, so, so well, you can go back now, whatever it is, 16 years when he was with the giants and you can see how he mystified Tom Brady and uh, you know, the Patriots that year. So I think he does a lot of things that teams don't expect. That's number one. I think number two, uh, I think that Lamar Jackson appeared to me anyway to be tentative, whereas Josh Allen will say, because obviously running is a big part of Josh Allen Allen's game too, Josh Allen will say, hey, screw it. We're stalled. I'm taking off. Get out of my way. And I didn't sense that there was ever that feel from Lamar Jackson saying, hey, listen, Todd Munkin, what we decided to do this week really hasn't worked. I need to take this game into my own hands. And again, nobody blames Michael Jordan or LeBron James when they say, clear out, I am going to win this game. 
I mean, and in my opinion, sometimes quarterbacks have to do that, and he didn't do that. There's one other thing about the game that I feel very, very strongly about. I wrote this in my Football Morning in America column this week, and that is that about three months ago now, I was in Frankfurt, Germany, uh, and I saw Kansas City beat Miami, and in that game, Kansas City's offense was lousy. And remember, they won 21-14, to but seven points came on a defensive touchdown. And after the game, I interviewed uh, Patrick Mahomes for NBC on the field. And he said to me flat out, he said, do not worry. We will fix this offense. I promise you. And I go over to him in the locker room afterwards. Uh, I mean, he uh, he hasn't done his press conference yet, but I just went over to him and I say, hey, listen, thanks a lot for for doing that on the field. He goes, hey, no problem. He goes, hey, man, said, I'm just telling you what I said on the field. I mean, we will fix this offense. And so no one would say. These are the Tyreek Kansas City Chiefs. No one would say that, that they don't have the same explosive quality. But I'll tell you what they do have. They have a running back who's ferocious. And I think he was, obviously, he was a huge factor against Buffalo. He's been a huge factor, averaging whatever, 85 yards a game this postseason. They finally have a receiver who they can trust a physical, uh, sure-handed receiver in Rasheed Rice. Took him a while to get going, but he's there now. And obviously, they have one of the best tight ends who ever played in Travis Kelsey, who was gigantic in that game on Sunday. And so I think they now have got their offense figured out to the point that if we have to run, we love Isaiah Pacheco. He's going to handle it. And we got a really good uh, backup right now in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I'm sure is not thrilled that he's not getting 22 carries a game, but that's the way it is. And obviously they've got good enough pass catchers now. Right now we're talking to Peter King of NBC Sports. He is our Odyssey insider. All of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice Gentleman Blends Body Wash, providing exfoliation Plus, for 24-7, moisturization because men have skin, too. Peter, next week I want to dive more into the game, but I want to talk more about the storylines this week. We actually haven't asked you about this yet. What do you make of all the conversation around Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? I think it's a pathetic example of what's wrong with America, honestly. Um, You know, Travis Kelsey is allowed to have a girlfriend, and it's okay. Did his performance suffer on Sunday? 11 targets, caught all 11, uh, made an amazing catch in the end zone. And so his girlfriend happens to be incredibly famous. And these people are finding fault with it for whatever reason and finding political uh, reasons to be upset about this. It's just, it's absurd. It's absurd. You know, and again, look, I'm not naive enough to think people are going to leave them alone. But... I am, you know, I continue to be depressed by so many people in this country who want to ascribe different values to a football player than they would to a guy walking down the street, 
who lives in Shawnee Mission. Uh, Travis Kelsey happens to be famous. One-tenth as famous as his girlfriend. But who cares? Let them live their lives. And if you're going to follow them around the paparazzi, that's the way life goes, I guess. But just basically stop ascribing values to them that are maybe what you think, you know, as as far as, oh, this is terrible, this is, uh, you know, they're doing this for the wrong reasons, it's a fix, it's this. I, it's just really disappointing to me. I think that Travis is obviously going to be a major talking point at media day on Monday. And Patrick Mahomes is obviously going to be at the center of conversation as well. Peter, you have seen them all. You saw all of Brady's career. You saw Montana at the end. You saw Favre. You saw Manning. You have seen them all. Where do you rank Patrick Mahomes in your conversation of greatest quarterbacks of all time? Well, I think however you, however you're going to uh, answer this question, you simply have to have an asterisk on it, okay? Because, look, I believe as of right now, and I've got to go try to figure this out, of all the quarterbacks who are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, how many of them have gone to have, – have, have done the following? They've gone to four Super Bowls. They have started for six years, and every year – have played in the conference championship game, uh, have the kind of playoff record that he has, whatever it is now, 14-3, and three, I forget. But whatever the record is, it's ridiculous. And I think that probably other than Tom Brady, I doubt, and maybe there are some metrics that Joe Montana would still be ahead of him, and maybe even Terry Bradshaw, I don't know. But he's done things in six years. And Carrington, if you think about it, he's won, if, if, if he wants to and if he's healthy, he's one-third of the way through his career. He still has, you would think, if he chooses, he's got 12 seasons, I would think, easy to go with the way the quarterbacks are protected today with the example set by Brady, Breeze, uh, all these quarterbacks who lasted playing exceedingly well until they were 40 years old and older. Um, I think he's going to go down as probably one of the two or three best, but part of going down as the greatest quarterback of all time means you have to have longevity. You can't declare someone the greatest ever after six years. Can't do it. Now, I would be I would be ridiculous to sit here and say he's not going to do it. I think he's got a heck of a chance to do it. But I just want to remind you of one thing. Things change fast in the NFL. And you would think, you know, with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and 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 Kelsey and and the base of talent that there is on this team that they will figure out a way to stay competitive, assuming that for at least one more year, the base is all, the core is all going to be together. But just remember this one thing. First Super Bowl I ever covered, uh, 19, or early 1985, I think it was still January then. January of 85, Palo Alto, California. 
Dan Marino in his second year playing against Joe Montana. And Montana won the game, and afterwards, everybody, everybody was saying about Marino, oh, man, he's going to get back. Don't, don't worry about that. He'll win multiple Super Bowls. He'll be back multiple times to this game. He never got back. And obviously, it's a different story with, with Patrick because he's got the base of talent that he's been back now. This is fourth one. It's amazing. But there are no guarantees in life. So I would say he's got a good chance. But, man, Bill Parcells used to have this statement where he'd say it three times a week when I covered the New York Giants in the 80s. Man, they don't sell insurance for that stuff. So we'll see. Last question here, Peter, and I appreciate your time. You actually just answered one of them. What was your first Super Bowl? So I'll ask you the second and third part of that. What has been your favorite Super Bowl to cover and attend? What has been your favorite halftime show that you've got a chance to see? My favorite halftime show was U2 at that really emotional time in New Orleans where uh, after 9-11, that, that was, I love the Tom Petty halftime show too. Um, but most of the music I don't really listen to these days. So I, you know, so I'm sure Usher is going to do a fabulous job, but I'll probably be writing some stuff at halftime instead of watching. And he asked my favorite Super Bowl. I have to answer that by telling you my favorite Super Bowl plus the experience. My favorite Super Bowl was Patriots-Falcons, where the Patriots came back from a 28-3 lead to win in overtime. And one week after the game, uh, I got on a plane and I flew to Montana to spend 86 minutes recording Tom Brady's Uh, memories of this game, both for a podcast that I do and also for, I I very rarely, this may have been the only time where I did a two-part column. I simply could not finish everything in 17,000 words that I wrote about Brady uh, coming out of that conversation. So we did a two-part column. And one of my great memories of of that game far and away is when I asked him about uh, that game and how it happened. And why is it that at the end of that game, why were your primary targets, Malcolm Mitchell, a third round rookie and Chris Hogan, a free agent they picked up off the street. I said, I can't figure out why you went to those guys. And he goes, Peter, 110 practices. And he goes, I trust those guys. I've thrown more than a thousand balls to each one of those guys this year. I know exactly on a comeback route, if they're supposed to put their foot in the ground at 15 and I hit them at 13, that is exactly where they're going to be. So if you have that kind of trust, I don't care what these guys' names are, you know? And I just thought that was so great about. Tom Brady and his approach to game to the game. And, and I'll just end with this. I was with Kyle Shanahan on Tuesday of this week uh, out in California. And I told him that story. And his first, first words out of his mouth is, man, that's football. And so that's why, to me, when I see Pat, uh, Patrick Mahomes 
he maybe has to rely on Sky Moore or Justin Watson, not Sky Moore now, but Justin Watson or, or lesser guys, it's okay. He's going to rely on the guys he trusts as long as he can trust them and he knows exactly where they're going to be in the critical moments. And that is Peter King joining us on the show today. He is our Odyssey NFL insider. All of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. Peter, I'm excited for next week when you and I can really dive in and take a closer look at Super Bowl 58. But it was so cool to hear your stories of you have been to a lot of these Super Bowls, man. That's a really cool experience. Thanks a lot for hopping on with us today. Really appreciate it, Peter. All the best, Carrington. You take care. Absolutely. That's Peter King joining us on the show today. Rob, what's been your favorite Super Bowl so far? So let's remove the Chiefs from this conversation because obviously a local tie. We have seen them win two of them. What has been your favorite Super Bowl? And I always, I also kind of feel like in this conversation, you have to remove the first Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Giants. Because if you were asking me, like, let's say that I die tomorrow and somebody gets up there and like, hey, what did I miss? You missed the greatest football game that I have ever seen. The Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Giants and seeing if they were going to finish off the undefeated season, which none of us ever thought we would see. The tension of the fourth quarter, the surprise that the Giants were even in the football game, because you remember the Patriots beat them earlier in the season. And my belief that that 2007 Patriots team is the greatest football team that we have ever seen. And the improbable catch at the end of the game. I think that is the best football game that we have ever witnessed. So I think that's the number one answer. I'm curious what you think. Like if you ask, hey, what's your favorite Super Bowl? What's a Super Bowl that stands out to you? Well, I mean, you're going to take away my top three answers because I would have told you the Chiefs ones because I would have told you the kid growing up in Kansas City. I don't know. I'd ever see it. And to now see it, what, four times in five years? Just it still feels surreal. So we'll pull that aside. I would tell you that 07 game is the greatest football game I've ever seen. Like, no, just as a total neutral, it's the greatest football game I've ever seen. So we're pulling that one to the side. That's that's fair. I don't think it counts. I would say if you remove those things, the best Super Bowl I saw is that Cardinals Steelers one. I don't remember the number. I don't remember the year. But you know what I'm talking about. Where that Cardinals team, it felt like it felt like David and Goliath because the Cardinals all whole lifetime were a laughing stock. They played in the Arizona State Stadium. They got, they were a retirement community. They had Emmett Smith at a thousand years old. The Cardinals were bums that we made fun of. They suddenly had a new stadium. They had Kurt Warner and they were really good going up against one of the prohibitive franchises in the history of the NFL. We had that long touchdown from James Harrison. You had the long touchdown from Larry Fitzgerald. The second half was back and forth. You had the iconic catch of San Antonio Holmes in the corner. You had two quarterbacks that we now know are going to the hall of fame. Like, that was one of the better Super Bowls if you put all those caveats on it that I remember seeing. That one stands out. Yeah, I'll give you mine aside from the 07 one. It's the first Patriots win for me. You remember, that Rams team, they were the Chiefs. Like, how we looked at them, how we viewed them at that time, they were the it team. They had Kerr Warner, they had Marshall Falk, they had Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. They had already... That was the team of its time was the St. Louis Rams. And Rob, you remember heavy favorites in that game. The Brady story was crazy. They weren't even supposed to be there because of the tuck rule game. 
if you remember back to that game, that's the game in which the Patriots came out and they had locked on. Remember, the Patriots didn't come out individually. They came out as a team, and you were like, oh, wow. All right. Hey, this Patriots team. And the game was really close. And Brady then took them down the field to kick the field goal. And I remember it in the moment. And I went back and I watched it when John Madden passed a couple of years ago today. Because if you were under 40, the way that I am, you just grew up. And John Madden was an idol. Like John Madden taught us football. Whether it was the broadcast, whether it was growing up in the Madden generation. And every year you were dialed into playing Madden. Like John Madden taught a majority of us about football. And Madden was hell-bent on that the Patriots were making the wrong decision, that the Patriots should have needed, and that they should have went to overtime. And Brady, in that moment, proved John Madden wrong. And if you go back and listen to the broadcast, you can hear as time progresses, you can hear how he he becomes a believer of Tom Brady in that moment. And you had never heard John Madden speechless at the end of anything. And at the end of the drive, whenever Brady spikes the ball and the ball bounces back up to him, you can just hear that Tom Brady had done something so well that John Madden sort of had to tip his cap and say, salute. They then kick the field goal. They win. That's the Patriots win. And then there's that iconic moment where it's Drew Bledsoe on the stage and it is Tom Brady and he hits him on his shoulder pads. And Brady's like, can you believe that we just won the Super Bowl? That's probably my favorite Super Bowl memory aside from the Patriots one. And it's funny because I mean, with how often the Chiefs have been in the Super Bowl, there is going to be some kid that feels that way about Patrick Mahomes in those Super Bowl moments. He's already played in four of them. So you already had Jet Chip Wasp. You have already had the incredible throw that he made against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know they got smoked in that game, but that is still one of the most remarkable throws that I've ever seen a player make. You have the run against the Philadelphia Eagles. Like 10, 15 years from now, someone is going to talk about Patrick Mahomes' moments in these games. And just based on his history and his track record, he will probably make one or two of them in this game next Sunday. I don't know what it is. Don't know when it is going to be. But the fact that every game we have seen Mahomes in this moment, he has done something incredible. I'm going to guess that he does something pretty incredible next week against the San Francisco 49ers. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, if you missed it, we had Mike Janetti on the show. We'll play the best of that coming up in just a bit. I do want you guys to hear what Mike Janetti had to say. He runs Spot Track. They are a salary cap website. That's where I get all my stats and information from. We'll play the best of that conversation for you coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But before that, today are two very, very big anniversaries, and we'll talk about them next. Keep it right here, Mr. Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. The only place in town to hear the hypothetical button game is on The Drive with Carrington Harrison. All right. We're going to get back to very serious football things coming up in just a bit. But we have to talk about two anniversaries before we do that. The first anniversary was something that is maybe one of the biggest pop culture things that have happened, Robin, you and I existent. Today is the 20-year anniversary of Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. Now, Rob, be honest. 
Did you see this live? Because I actually didn't see this live. I just remember all the reaction about it. That you guys might laugh at me. I actually didn't see this until a few years ago on YouTube. Like, I'd always seen the still photograph of it. But, like, actually watching the video of it, I don't really remember it live when it happened. I remember everyone saying, I remember all the energy in the room when I came back. But I actually don't really remember this live. I just remember the years of talking about it. Do you remember seeing Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake live when it happened? So I would have been middle school-ish. This would have been, what, 04, which is Which is the prime age for this scandal. So I would have been middle school-ish, and it was weird. That was, it wasn't just Timberlake and uh, Janet Jackson. That was like the MTV did the halftime show. So we mm-hmm. had all the artists that as a 14-year-old you listened to. Like, this is a big deal. And at the end, I remember seeing that he pulled, but I didn't know if it was like a, a gimmick or whatever. I didn't see it, see it, but I remember the adults in the room were all like, did that just happen? <laughs> and all the kids in the room, all the teenagers kind of like, what are you guys talking about? No one saw it, saw it, but yeah, obviously the steel photos, the whole deal. But as far as be like, whoa, that just happened. No, and I think that was before, like, I think TiVo existed, but the house that did not have TiVo, so there was no way to rewind and be like, is that what we thought we saw? You couldn't check Twitter or anything, so our party, I remember, thought, we think that's what happened, but we can't confirm it, so we don't really know. Yeah, it was one of those things that, like, maybe you didn't really realize how big of a deal it was until the next morning when it was just everywhere. It was on SportsCenter. It was on Good Morning America. It was on the Today Show. Like, I don't think we really understood in the moment sort of what we watched until we saw sort of the fallout and everything that it happened afterwards. If you guys remember it differently, 913-586-7610. Today is the 20-year anniversary of Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl and uh, their uh, incident. They had the best way what to call it, it. What was the term they used? Wardrobe malfunction? Wardrobe malfunction, definitely what it to was. To this day, I don't know what Justin Timberlake is doing that led to a malfunction. Like, what did they think was supposed to happen in that moment? I don't know. I wish I was like trying to think of a really good answer. Like if you rip at that part of her clothes, I what you were trying to do happened. I thought I, it seems like you, you reached the goal that you were trying to reach. Today is the 16 year anniversary of really the birth of Stephen A. Smith. I mean, he has given us so many memories over the last 16 years, but I'm still not sure if he has given us one greater than this moment 16 years ago. Kwame Brown is gone. The city of Angels, Hollywood, just should be celebrated. Throw a parade already, whether you win a championship or not. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever, but I'm sorry to call, tell everybody the truth. The man cannot play the game of basketball. He has small hands. He can't catch the ball. He's got bad feet. He can't really move, even though he's mobile. Doesn't really know what he's doing. Doesn't have a post move that he, he puts to memory that he can do two times in a row. He has no game whatsoever plays no defense, doesn't have the heart, the passion, or anything that comes with it. That is the day that Stephen A. Smith was born. That's my favorite Stephen A. Smith quote, rant. I mean, and he's had some great ones. The Lamar Odom, stay off the weed. I mean, Stephen A. Smith has given us some greatest hits. He has given us now, that's what I call Stephen A. Smith here. He has been a consistent producer of a soundbite. There's none better than Bonafide Scrub.
There's nothing better than no disrespect and then being completely disrespectful for the next 30 seconds towards Kwame Brown. Two great anniversaries in sports. Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake, Stephen A. Smith, and Kwame Brown. The thing about that Stephen A. thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure he's on ESPN News when this happened. Great, great times. Because ESPN News was like, you were a kid, like, I was on the breaking news. I don't want NFL yearbook or whatever, like, specialty programming is on regular ESPN. That news broke. They then got Stephen A. to come on, not the main ESPN, but ESPN News. That was always a great time. He said that and made such waves that he has become the biggest star in ESPN currently. What a come up. Yeah, that's the thing that that these young kids won't remember. Like, if you, like, let's say a trade happened and you wanted instant analysis, you knew exactly where to turn. ESPN News, they were doing it. Because you remember SportsCenter, and they didn't really cut into live programming all of that often, you know? Like, they didn't really cut into it like they do now. Like, now, if a major trade happened, like, tomorrow, if James Harden was like, I want to be traded, they would just cut into whatever they were doing, and they would have everybody there to talk about it. That's not really how ESPN was during this time. If something breaking happened, they would just do it on ESPN News. So when a big trade happened or, you know, and a big injury happened, you had to usually wait till 5 o'clock or 9 whenever SportsCenter would come on, and you had to turn to ESPN News. And Stephen A. Smith dropped, I mean, a classic. I mean, that, that's that gone diamond. That's what it's gone. It's gone diamond. I mean, both those anniversaries are a, a sign of how kids don't know what it's like anymore. When the Janet Jackson thing happened, no one kind of understood. There was no platform to talk to the world about it. You kind of didn't notice until the next day at the water cooler or you mentioned Good Morning America, like AOL.com. It was like their headline story. But no one really knew for the entire 12-hour window what had just happened. When Kwame Brown happened, you had to be on ESPN News because you had to care that on the bottom scroll, it said Kwame Brown traded by the Lakers more coverage on ESPN News. That was what a time. All right. So we're going to get back to the Chiefs here coming up in just a bit. But, Rob, I would like to read to you the most popular Super Bowl food in the state of Kansas is queso. That is the most good popular. job, Kansas. Good yeah, job. That's the most popular one. That's according to this. It's queso. You guys, you know what? I was a little worried about you. Queso is number one. Tater tots is number two on the list. Now, fine, fine. Number two. I don't know if I want to come to your function if tater tots are available. Like, I don't think I've ever been to a Super Bowl party and tater tots were an available option. Like you're just you're just heating up the or Ida, you're just putting them in the in the oven, and we're just eating tater tots. I've never I've never been to one where tater tots were available. Now in Missouri, the number one most popular Super Bowl food is chili. See, that's why that's why Kansas is better than Missouri. Who's eating a hot bowl of chili at someone's house? That's that's weirder at the function. Yeah, I don't know if the Super Bowl is what I'm looking for, a hearty bowl of chili. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't know if nope. that's what I'm looking for. I mean, if that's what you like, that's great. That's just not really the kind of foods usually that I'm going for. I'm a big finger foods person mm-hmm. during this time. Give me a pizza. Give me a wing. Give me a slider. Give me a pulled pork slider. You know I like a soup, but can I – like, 
And you're, you're eating have, soup during the bowl? Like a chili or a soup is a weird thing. Okay, yeah, all right. I, th- I thought you were asking think, for soup no, at the Do, at do the you function. serve it in like a styrofoam cup to people? Or do they have, you're eating out of like bowls yeah, and utensils? Know. It's just weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I've been to too many Super Bowl functions where we were eating off, you know, regular utensils. This is where you got to go paper plate. You know what I mean? You got too many people eating. You're going to eat too many times. The host already has enough to do to clean up and enough dishes to wash. They're not washing every bowl every cup every spoon in here yeah you're eating off paper utensils so chili seems like a really difficult thing to pull off for the super bowl i've never had a chili during it i also think you know chili requires so many like toppings and accoutrement like something like jalapeno something like white onion red onion aaron ladd told us on tuesday he likes a nice frito on his some people like you know heavy cheese some people like hot sauce you you gotta buy so many side items to get people to enjoy a chili missouri you're weird Somebody said I can't be out here having soup with the boys. That's crazy. That is wild. Like, hey, what's upstairs? What we got to eat? Oh, my wife made some soup. Soup for what? I don't want no soup. Uh, someone said my buddy Harold and his wife, they're making tuna noodle casserole. Yo, if your team is in the Super Bowl and you're inviting people over and you tell me that what we need to have is tuna noodle casserole, it's time for me to go home. I'm not watching the game over here. This is one of the biggest games of my life. And this is the this is the meal that I'm having. Tuna noodle casserole. Your wife doesn't care about us. She doesn't love us. She doesn't. She doesn't she doesn't understand how important this game is if that's the kind of food that you're serving. If if your team is in the Super Bowl, you need to be outside deep frying a turkey. You need to be doing this big for the Super Bowl. We're not having tuna noodle casserole for the Super Bowl. No, that is not a Super Bowl meal. Not at all. Not a Super Bowl. We in Kansas City, Missouri. We in Kansas. You need to be outside on the back with the burn ins and the brisket and the ribs. Tuna noodle casserole, bro. She owe you one hall pass if that's what she makes for the Super Bowl next week. If, if that's the food that the wife tells you she's cooking, you can cheat on her in February. You got my permission. Coming up in a little bit, we're going to play the best of. We had Mike Gennetti on the show earlier. He's a salary cap expert. We took a big picture look at the Chiefs as we were getting ready for Super Bowl 58. Keep it right here, so Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. This is The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. We were reading a text, and there was a, a gentleman that said that his wife is making tuna casserole for the Super Bowl, and I encouraged him to leave his wife. Someone else replied, CDOT, I'm sorry, but if the lady of the house says it's tuna casserole, then we're having tuna casserole. No questions asked. Bruh. This is where you got to step in. This is where you got to grab your belt here. You got to put on your big boy pants. You got to say, baby, we're not doing this tonight. You know what? Let me handle it. Let me handle it today. Go get a pizza. If you are in a situation where the wife is about to make tuna casserole, I will give you free pizzas from the other place. I can't let you go out like that. Your team is in the Super Bowl. Your team is in the bowl. And upstairs, you guys are going to be sharing the tuna casserole meal for the game. I can't let you do that. I can't let you go out that way. Not if you listen to this show. I couldn't I couldn't sleep right. I couldn't have that on my conscience, knowing that you were eating tuna casserole watching your team in the Super Bowl. You need to, you need to call Rob right now and get a free pizza. Go ahead and set it up. 
I'll even call them for you so you can get some mozzarella sticks too. You can get the large pizza and the mozzarella sticks. I got to save you from yourself here. This is wild behavior. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, a man who probably enjoys a tuna casserole, Sean Barber, will join us in studio. But I want to play this for you. We had Mike Gennetti on the show earlier. This is where I get all my salary cap information. So our conversation starts with, he said that, hey, some of the Chiefs' contracts are coming to roost. Hey, the Chiefs have built this up. There's some big-time free agents happening. Here's our conversation with Mike Gennetti. The contracts, man. I mean, you know it's coming. Michael Dana, Drew Tranquil, Jarius Sneed, Chris Jones. Those are not easy miles to feed right now, and I don't think uh, they're all coming back here for sure. Right now we're talking to Mike Gennetti of Track. This is where I get all my salary cap information from. Let's start with Chris Jones. Obviously there was a lot of friction this offseason between him, the organization, his agency, et cetera. How do you see that situation playing itself out? It's tight. Um, this is the preeminent free agent right now. This is the guy on the top of every list. I don't think the franchise tag's available here with 33 million plus. So what we're talking about is another round, another round of 30 million per year or a team discount to stick around. He's about a $28 million player in our system. So is it, is he going to take the discount or is he going to walk March 13th and become one of the biggest free agents really in the history of the salary cap NFL? When you mention a team-friendly discount, is that in that 26 to 28 region? Because the franchise tag for him is in the 30s. You and I both agree that if he hit free agency, he would get between 30 to $33 million. Are we talking about a team discount of being 26 to $28 million? Yeah, I think 28 is about right here because, you know, if you're talking about a $5 million discount, maybe they can fortify the guarantees a little bit to make it happen. Certainly, they've been incentives before that he's been able to hit. So that's about right. You know, it's 27, 28 million. Per I can't see him going lower than that because you're right. If he hit the open market, he's 32 million a year. Right now, we're talking to Mike Gennetti of Track going through the Chiefs offseason and what they're going to do from a franchise tag contract scenario. Who are the suitors for Chris Jones if he hits free agency? Yeah, plenty, right? I mean, the Commanders have cap space. Tennessee has cap space. But if you want to talk contenders here, Houston's in, Detroit's in, and uh, Green Bay is probably – so you're, you're, you're talking six teams minimum willing to go 30 million-plus who have cap space to front-load that and really take Kansas City out of this conversation. Let's talk about Legereus Sneed, who has certainly earned himself a lot of money over the course of the last six months or so. He has had a phenomenal year this season. It seems like his number has maybe jumped even more than where Chris Jones is. I understand that corners just make less than defensive linemen, but if we are talking about raises, I don't know if anybody on this team has made themselves more money over the course of the last six months or so than Legereus Sneed. You took the words out of my mouth. I've been on here with a bunch with you. And I think the last time we talked, I was discussing how this guy wasn't a true cornerback one. So it's, to value him as a cornerback one was incorrect. Well, that's, that's out the window. <laughs> so if he was a $10 million player six months ago, he's $16, $17, 18000000 million a year right now and uh, a quasi-safety in terms of what that money could cost. So you're right. One of the biggest paydays that came from zero to 100 in the 2023 season and somebody's going to snatch him up on a huge contract. Yeah, I just look at it where he is 27 years old. He's shown the versatility yeah. to do just about whatever you need him to do. You need him to play outside, he can do that. You need him to play inside, he can do that. You mentioned safety. You need him to blitz off the corner. 
that age, that production, that championship pedigree and being part of a great defense, that guy gets a lot of money thrown at him coming up in a couple of weeks. Huge. Yeah, he's going to walk. He's going to be one of those huge free agents. And it's going to be, you know, the J.C. Jackson type top of the market contract. Only his is probably going to work out. So I do want to talk about some of the other players. You mentioned Drew Tranquil. You mentioned Mike Dana. We'll get to them coming up in a bit. So let's say that Brett Veach comes up to you and says, hey, you understand the salary cap. How would you make this work? you got Chris Jones, a premium free agent. you got Legereus Need, a premium free agent. You can only franchise tag one of them. You're probably not going to keep both in free agency. How would you play this thing out if you're Kansas City? You know, it's a great way to look at it. With Snead's age, he's probably a more valuable keep at this point in time. His his franchise tag is around that $19 million mark. So we're talking closer to the value. Chris Jones on $33 million plus, that's a really tough way to operate in March with your salary cap, even if he's certainly tagging tradable right now. So I think I'm franchise tagging Legereus Snead, trying to work something out that makes sense for everybody. And I'm just hammering out some kind of near top of the market contract for Chris Jones. But these are two of your preeminent players. So you've got to you've got to prioritize keeping these guys around at least for the first couple of weeks of March. And then if you have to operate with the trade, there'll be teams in on that. How realistic is a tag and trade? Now, obviously, with Snead, you're talking about a 27-year-old, and if he gets franchise tagged, it's $18 million. That's a very easy situation. It's not nearly as easy with Chris Jones. You're talking about a 30-year-old defensive lineman who is going to make at least $30 million next year. His tag and trade scenario doesn't seem nearly as straightforward as it does with Snead. Yeah, I agree with you. Not to mention, most teams don't have $33 million of cap space to acquire that player on through that trade. So, yeah, I think you're dealing with Snead in terms of the franchise tag. And if, I mean, you don't want to see Chris Jones hit that open market, but you know you have at least, you know, a fallback option on him if he goes out there and you try to work something out through March. Let's say that Chris Jones hit free agency and let's say he signs with the Commanders, a team that you threw out there earlier. What does a Chris Jones free agent contract look like? Yeah, it starts at four for 120. You know, we're, we're getting them back to that $30 million mark. Nick Bosa's contract has only pushed things further, so I think we're going to be at four four years at thirty two million per year, two years fully guaranteed, and that third year vests with some with some twenty twenty five incentives. But it's uh it's going to be big, it's going to be huge, and uh, whoever gets them is going to get two really strong years of a defensive interior lineman. So now talking about Legereus Need, what does a Legereus Need free agent contract look like? Yeah, if he's a $16 million player in our system right now, that means about four for 64. So it, when he hits the open market, things generally go up about $2 million per year. So if he's on $18 million a year, you could probably sneak four or five years because of his age and feel pretty comfortable about it. What does a team-friendly deal look like for Snead? Yeah, I, I don't know that you can dip under $15 million at this point. And I know McDuffie's contract's going to come up, and that's going to counteract what you're doing here. But I think you're going to have to be in that four for 60, at least with an initial offer to keep him at least thinking about not hitting that open market. You mentioned some of the other free agents that they have. Mike Dana is a guy who had a really good season. It seems like he can sign like an Emmanuel Ogba deal when he signed with Miami, a two-year, $18 million, two-for-20 kind of deal. You mentioned Drew Tranquil, who signed a one-year deal, but has certainly made himself a lot of money with how he's played this year. What about some of their other free agents? What's their value? What kind of contract are we talking about to keep them? 
at Tranquil was an out-of-nowhere situation. So the fact that he's going to triple his compensation is crazy. But, I, you know, he's a $7 million player right now. So I'm not even sure that's something you can keep around knowing how many other miles you have defeated. And Dana have, had a back-to-back really nice season that puts him in that, you're right, that second-tier edge defender conversation. So if we're talking $10 million a year, maybe like a three for 30, that's probably be about right. That was Mike Gennetti. If you want to hear the full conversation, you can do that at 610sports.com, also the Odyssey app. I look to my right, and you know what? It is a pleasant surprise. Sean Barber joins us on the show. Sean Barber, no, don't say anything yet. We're going to take a break. We're going to play the sounder. I got to give you a Super Bowl-worthy intro. We'll do that on the other side, and then Barbershop will be here. I'm certain that Barbershop has the San Francisco 49ers losing 70 to nothing and will tell us how he was the only person who believed in the Chiefs this entire year. Keep it right here, Sir Drive. They don't look at football in the same way. You look in your little black box. I actually you you always hate me going to the computer. You always search for something that don't matter. Going to the computer box. You seen the film like I seen the film, man. And it leads to a lot of disagreements. You not answering my questions anymore. This is a silent protest. Every Thursday at five, it's time for former Chiefs linebacker Sean Barber to join the drive. We are very happy to be joined in studio right now. Congratulations on getting through your nine to five. A man who was born January 14th from Richmond, Virginia, standing at six foot two, 240 pounds out of Hermitage. You got it right. Hermitage High School. At Hermitage High School, he was an all district and all regional player as a safety. And he also played a little wide receiver. Not a little bit. Averaged 28 yards a catch. He went to the University of Richmond, a proud spider. He went there as a safety and then moved over to linebacker. And what a great decision. He was drafted in the fourth round in the 1998 draft. He was the 113th pick. He played for four organizations, Washington, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Houston. 501 career tackles, 10 sacks, 10 forced fumbles. All around swell guy. The person that I get all of my football knowledge from. I don't need pro football reference. Not when I have our guest. Sean Barber joins us in studio. Sean Barber, how you doing? Now that you know what? That was playoff worthy. That's playoff worthy, man. That that's definitely that humbles a guy right there. That you know what? I don't I don't go back that far many times, all the way back to Hermitage and always back to universe. That's but, only a Super Bowl intro. I wouldn't give you that on a week seven game against the Chargers. You know, mm-hmm. that's just, that's a Super Bowl I deserve, introduction. I de- no, I deserve that intro every time, but I mean, you you give me what you want, but like Coach Dion said, I'm, I I pat myself on the back. Every day I get up. <laughs> no, I believe you. Every day I get up, I, I pat myself you. on the back. I'm doing things the right way, but. Barbershop, you know what? I'm going to allow you to pat yourself on the back even more. You never wavered on the Chiefs. What Say kept you? Say again. You never wavered once on the Chiefs. <laughs> what kept you? I didn't restore the roar. As a believer. What kept you as a believer Rob, this season with Rod the Chiefs? Rob. Let's ride. <laughs> <laughs> what kept you a believer this year with the Chiefs? Hey, they stick. It's the process, bro. It's the, it's the understanding that um, it, it, there is no guarantees in life. There's no guarantees on the football field. But you got to stand for something. Right, you got to stand for something. That, and the, the one thing I do know is defensively, uh, acknowledging the talent that was already there, present before they made um, the draft picks, and understanding 
how they were drafting, bringing in younger guys, uh, kind of fulfilling the ranks, building the ranks, building depth in positions. And then on the offensive side of the ball, understanding, yes, they were, they were taking a risk at wide receiver, but understanding the, the, the way that their offensive coaching staff is built with Coach Andy Reid and, and Nagy, um, uh, Andy Heck, and the, the other coaches they have there, and the way they can put together schemes and plans and systematically create offenses that open up routes, that allow routes to develop, um, create angles for rushing lanes to come. Um, and then the, I mean, again, I, I just, I think I put a lot of faith that Pacheco uh, was going into this year and, and, and was ready to like turn it up to another level. I think that he, he, he felt, he felt like he left a lot on the field, uh, not only in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl, but just overall in the whole season with the injuries and stuff. I think he wanted to put together a complete season and I just felt he was going to come back mad, angry, and we was going to see a different, a different breed of what he uh, brings to the football field. Um, but yeah, I think I think after the bye week, uh, I'm, I'm even, you know, I was surprised. I was surprised after the bye week, after having a week off to kind of get things together. Uh, that loss to the Eagles uh, definitely kind of shook the foundation a little bit. Uh, but then once the season was over, and it was time to get back at it, and I had to look at what other teams are coming into the playoffs with. Um, Miami rolling in here uh, defensively, kind of with some of their stars out, having to play it in negative 20 degrees. The way I think that the Kansas City Chiefs have always traveled well and played on the road, um, played in different venues and stuff was, you know, I thought at, at worst it was a coin flip for the Buffalo game. And then the, the, the Ravens game uh, was a, just a classic. Um, Chiefs sticking with their mantra, knowing who they are. Like when I say they knew who they were, they practiced the way and they performed and they executed the the game plan as 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 it was put in. I think they executed their game plan to a T. I mean, there were still problems in the game. Like the Chiefs didn't play perfect by any means. But what is like I guess chuckled me about this entire experience is like if I had told you in week eight, hey, Kansas City is going to play Baltimore in the AFC Championship game, and Kansas City is going to run the ball twice as much as Baltimore. You're like, yo, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Kansas City had 32 rush attempts and Baltimore had 16. Like that's the that's the one stat of the game mm-hmm. that is the most surprising to me. That Kansas City has fully leaned into the run, even when they didn't run it that great. Like they didn't, you know, this wasn't a game in which Isaiah Pacheco had 24 carries for 117 yards. Baltimore actually did a pretty good job stopping the run, but Kansas City stayed with it, stayed burning the clock, controlling the time of possession, and Baltimore just completely gave up on running the football. Well, after, after the first two possessions and Chiefs go up 14-0, you, you see, and it doesn't matter what anybody in the building says, the Ravens definitely threw their game plan out the window and started to, like, forget those first 15 plays. We got to start matching scores with this team. Because if the Chiefs score 14 points in the first two drives and you feel like they're going to get eight drives over the ball game, they're going to end up with about 35 points. And if you don't start throwing the ball, you, you can't just run the ball and, and think you're going to get to 35. Um, and I think the part of that, I mean, it was the pressure put on by just, I mean, it was, you can call them ex-girlfriends, scars, wounds. People still remember the Chiefs being an explosive offense that can score in 13 seconds, can score 24 points to come back, uh, being down 24-0 in the first quarter and then go up against the Houston Texans in the playoffs before halftime. Um, scoring, I think we was thir- 31 in the first quarter against the Raiders one time uh, about three years ago, something like that. I mean, 
I think that those those images of how quickly the offense can score points and put up points and turn momentum, it it, it comes back to haunt our opponents because after two drives, you can't see yourself down by 14 and think you're going to stick with the same game plan, which in hindsight, in hindsight, they only gave up three more points the entire game. And that, and that might be because we started to be more concerned. We started to be more ground and pound. But if you, if you could have told them after those first two series that the Chiefs were only going to have 17 points, they would have stuck, stuck with the run game. But they abandoned ship, man. You, you, you got you to gotta, you trust the, the guys you practice with. You got to know that, that, that they got four quarters in them. No matter how the game starts, you got to know that the guys got four quarters in them. And I think that's the – the difference is when the Chiefs scored 14 points, they looked across there and saw their defense and was like, I don't, I don't think this defense is going to give up 14 to this team today. So they, they, they changed their game plan too. Went to a run-heavy ball control, managed the clock, didn't need to be risky, didn't need to give up sacks, kept hunting, kept, kept playing like sound coverage. And the one touchdown was a broken play. I mean, like, again, you can – it happened, right? But you didn't they, – they didn't – all of a sudden stop playing aggressive defense because, you know, Zay Flowers got, got loose on one. I mean, I can only think of really. I mean, I, I, I think there were like three big plays that Baltimore made offensively in the whole game. They had the fourth and one run where they did the design quarterback keeper for Lamar. He got the 20-yard rush. They had the big pass play to Zay Flowers where they got the touchdown. And then they had the big pass play to Zay Flowers that he got the taunting penalty where – I mean, I, I'm usually on the, hey, let him celebrate, let him do this. You can't push the guy down, stand over him, spin the ball over his head, and talk to him. Like, come on, Zay. You was doing a lot there. I think he wanted me. He I, was it, doing a lot. He might have wanted that one. Like, you know, like sometimes there's a there's – a, I hope not. They was losing. Again, some, sometimes a coach will take a technical to, to let, his coach, let his staff know, hey, I don't like the way this game going, so I'm going to go take a technical to get our boys ready. So, yeah, maybe as a rookie you, you shouldn't feel that type of – uh, energy. You shouldn't think that taking a personal foul on a on a touchdown drive y'all need. But I mean, he hasn't been that type of player all year long. He hasn't been a player that talks a bunch and does, so for him to step out of his character to do that, I mean, again, that's that's just another you know. One team is playing chess, the other team playing checkers. Right now, we're joined in studio by Sean Barber. How poetic was it? that the play that clinches the Super Bowl appearance for the Kansas City Chiefs was a deep pass to MVS, a play that just did not really work in the regular season. Oh, I was reading a text line and say they didn't go up 14 though. What was it, 14-3 or something like that? It was 14-7 because they got the big touchdown pass to Zay Flowers. 14-7. This text line. No, I mean. That, I mean. It's my life. That's your- <laughs> I don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't worry about it. Nitpicking. <laughs> nitpicking. Barber. So what did you say? Say that again. I just wanted I to know. How, I no, it's okay. So it happens to me sometimes too. How poetic was it that the Chiefs clinched the Super Bowl on a deep pass to MVS? How poetic was it? Just it, it seems like I, I'm a big believer that in the postseason. You, I got you. I got you. you po- to, poetry, yeah. poetry. Like, yeah, it like was, it, Edgar Allan Poe. We playing the Ravens, M&T Bank. We go up there and we rob the bank. So I guess poetically, you would say. I just wouldn't guess that would have been the player that would have clinched the Super Bowl. Poetically, we would say nevermore. I don't know if you get all that. Up. You know, I got it. Okay. okay. I got I'm it. kind of proud about that one, too. I, no, I can tell. I can tell you're very, very that was, proud. That was, that was like. I can tell you're very proud. That was like off the cuff. I asked Pete Sweeney this question. I know your the answer. The plaid prince. I know it's going to be some ridiculous answer. That's why I want to ask you. 
So I asked Pete, Pete, hey, when did you realize that Peace when did you <laughs> when did you realize that Patrick was different? And he mentioned the second game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And mine is the touchdown pass to Chris Conley. I know yours is going to be a training, training camp, camp story. Okay, okay so Cause just because I, t- I want to hear about the, it. I want to hear, hear the story again this week of when you realized that the Chiefs had Joe Montana at quarterback. <laughs> I'm coaching internship. I'm taking my notes. I'm stri- scripting plays. I'm, um, you know, you know, as as they make defensive personnel exchange. Okay, so during training camp, you, you keep track of guys' reps because you don't want one guy to be out there forever. So, so every time they make a personnel, you keep a little player charter. So, you know, you're keeping track. So as an intern, I'm, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing whatever they ask me to do. I'm, I'm being an intern. I'm doing a little scouting. I'm looking. I see him warm up. And they got, you know, they got a little target. You got the quarterbacks that throw it into the either triangle, the square, the circle, or whatever. They put it about 30 yards. They take a trash can, put it about 40 yards outside the numbers, and they – Know, aim for the goalposts a couple times and stuff. And when I tell you, I kept seeing this ball end up in the back of that net over and over and over again. And some of the throws, he wasn't even stepping towards the net. Like, he was, like, throwing it over his shoulder, like, no looking. It's like, boom, just flinging it. And I was like, this got to be like a magic trick or something. Like, like he ain't even looking. And the quarterback at the time in front of him was looking and not getting it in there sometimes. I was just thinking, about, like, how can he throw this ball so accurately, accurately without doing it the right way? All the different arm slots, all the different. And then when it came time to hit that trash can, 40 yards downfield, I'm talking about when it didn't go in, it hit the rim a lot. And you, you just not taking the proper steps and the strides and everything. The fact that he can be that accurate that far away and not have to throw the ball like the same way every time to create the same outcome was amazing to me. And I, and I told people this, I think if you go back to the, you know, years ago to the, to the film, the only other quarterback that I've seen to throw it that way was Matthew Stafford when he came out of Georgia. He, he was just an amazing arm talent. And I was amazed by how that arm talent going to Detroit, when you don't surround them with the right weapons and the right support on defense and stuff ends up having a, a mediocre career based off of the talent he had going in. And it wasn't until he went to the Rams and, you know, OBJ, you know, had a lot of, had a defense around him and everything else for that talent to like rise to the occasion. And here in Kansas city, they've, they've, they just found ways to just like throw gas on it. Like his, his flame has got brighter and brighter every year. Part of it is him understanding, Hey, couple first couple of years, I couldn't read defense. So he, studied and learned how to read defenses. After that, they was going to take the deep ball away, so he took the check down. After that, they started to uh, take the check down, so he started taking the mid-level. Then they take his deep threat away, so he finds Juju and uh, and other players to throw it to, right? Miko Hardman. They get rid of Miko. He finds Rashi. Like, 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 whatever the solution is, he's finding a way to work through whatever the issues and problems is to find some sense of success. And then at the end of this season, the season that everybody thought that the Chiefs would be on reset, this is, this is, the, this is the year they're going to slow down. Every, the league can catch up with them. Uh, all these uh, uh, on, on the heels of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, um, um, Jackson, right? Uh, the, AFC, the AFC is now open for grabs because the Chiefs are not offensively putting up 30 points a game anymore. Brett Beach and the crew, 
swing the pendulum and start to focus on defense. They go defense where everybody else is focused on how to match the Chiefs on offense. And then our defense comes out as a top three defense, keeping everybody under 20 points. I think, what, twice we gave up over 20 the whole season? Us going, us, us, our defense doing that all season is just as impressive as the Ravens only going in halftime down three points twice the whole season. Like those two feats are just, are just amazing to me on both sides of the ball. But when it came time to playing football, one team had confidence in their abilities and their plan and their profile and who they were and stuck with it no matter what. Right now, we're joined in studio by Sean Barber. If you had to say, like, what is Mahomes' best quality? What's his best trait? Because at least for me, and just I can give you an NFL comparison. I can give you an NBA comparison. Yeah, Lamar Jackson is great. He is a different quarterback in the postseason than he is in the regular season. Like, the numbers suggest that. There are very few players who are regular season great that also have the ability to translate that to the postseason. It's just harder. Mm -hmm. You cut out the bad teams in the league, the pressure, the scrutiny of it. There are different players. James Harden was an incredible regular season player. We have seen how different he is in the postseason. Joel Embiid went through a lot of that last year as he won MVP. It is just different. The game gets called different. Can you maintain that same level of play? The guys that do are the ones that win championships. That's the thing to me with Patrick is he continues to play at such an MVP level. And I would say he even plays better in the postseason because he cuts out a lot of the mistakes. His last turnover was the Raiders game. That was Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. We just got to Black History Month. And the last time that he turned the football over was on Christmas. Like, their defense has been incredible. The all, number all, one all of my months of black history. I don't, I don't know if you know that. That's fair. Okay. The yeah. reason they are in the Super Bowl is because their quarterback has eliminated the mistakes and continued to play at a really high level. Their defense has obviously been incredible. But if you don't take sacks, if you don't turn the football over and you eliminate negative plays, you give yourself a chance. Look at how Detroit lost that game. Critical drops, mistakes late. Look at how Baltimore lost this game. They had three turnovers in the game. Kansas City just hasn't made a lot of mistakes, and a lot of that is a testament to how good their quarterback is. I mean, listen, football comes down to trust and communication. It's not just player to player. Sometimes it comes down to, you know, your coaching staff trusting who you got on the field. And the, the more research I did about the Ravens going into the game, I realized they, they got a lot of hot air. They got a lot of – and you know what? I post a start – let's, let's rewind this a little bit. Of course. I wanted to open the show apologizing to Agent Zero. Roquan Smith. Last week, I think I called him a country bumpkin or something like that because I was so upset at hearing some of the ways he was trying to in, 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 incite and encourage his defense. You know, you know, we we got to be willing to down his field. I mean, he was using so so many um, similes and stuff. Um, Foxhole. I mean, he he plays a, he plays. He played really well. Oh, you, that personal foul on. That was really well. well. I mean, are you giving that? That's a. I mean, that counts. But I mean, he did have 16 tackles in the game. They also held the Chiefs scoreless in the second half. I mean, I, I think Roquan Smith played really well. Well, we also focused Kelsey. We, we, we focused and targeted Kelsey eleven times. Oh yeah, and, and it, it, Kelsey it, called all eleven yeah, every single so, one. So, 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 so <laughs> maybe every single so, so maybe Roquan. You know, maybe Smith's agent zero's coverage <laughs> could have been a little better. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying, like you know what? That was a uh, that was Patrick Queens, man. Oh, okay. that's who that's who was covering Travis Kelsey, Patrick uh, Queen. Uh, again, it was a lot of. I just saw a lot of fractures. Like I, I didn't, I, I didn't think the team was who they, who they was presenting themselves to. Be. I actually came away from that, like speaking of the Ravens' defense. I actually came out of that game feeling a lot better about Kyle Hamilton. Like I knew he was good, but watching Kyle Hamilton 
Uh, you know, there's like some players, and you know, you play defense. Obviously, you know this. Like Brian Dawkins was a player who was just always around the football. Like if there was a play to be made, he was going to make that play. That's how Kyle Hamilton was in that game. Like Kyle Hamilton was always around the football, especially in the second half. He did everything to give Baltimore a chance to win that game. Their offense just couldn't capitalize. I mean, we knew he. We we we've always like. I think we talked about that 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 player as being one of the the difference makers, right? They had the, the D lineman. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. The, the defense tackle yeah, was a beast. Uh, obviously, Clowney. Both linebackers, Queen and, and, and Agent Zero. And then the secondary, was, it was Kyle Hamilton. That, I mean, Kyle Hamilton, you can attempt to put him on Kelsey, and that attempt came back void because he was 8 for 8 for a touchdown in the first half. So, like, when, when, you, when you tell me a guy is good and he's paired up with somebody who's great and he's paired up with somebody who can throw the ball great and, and – and, and, Back shoulder, it. Well, your good coverage ain't good enough. Then. Like, so who cares if you're good? Like, great, great. That Cal Hamilton is a good to great safety, but not to go man to man when Kelsey is playing at the level he was playing. Not giving him any help. Not not punching Kelsey at the line with a linebacker before he gets you know like delivered to Hamilton, and just assuming Ham- Hamilton's best was going to be able to, you know, cancel out Kelsey. That was that was that was a serious mistake. I mean, that, that w- that's what put the game where it was after first quarter, and that's what made you abandon. Your, I mean, so maybe that that defensive mistake, that miscalculation on defense, might be the single most miscalculation that cost the Ravens the entire game because everything else was just a domino effect after that. Right now, we're joined in studio by uh, Sean Barber. Sean, really quickly, what do you make of the whole Justin Tucker ball in the end zone? You've been in these on the field situations. It seems like a a big ego fest to me on on both sides, on Justin Tucker's side, on Kelsey, on Mahomes' side. This just feels like football guy kind of things. You've been on the field during these warmups. What what actually is happening? I've got a hundred or so probably ex teammates. I call my friends, like like guys that former play, t- teammates are on my phone. I, I text them. I call them weekly or every. So I, I keep up with a lot of guys. Of those almost a hundred guys, two of them, two of them. One punter, one kicker. That's it. Lawrence Tynes, Dustin Colquitt. It's not that I don't like punters and kickers. It's just they don't, they don't resonate. They don't think the same way we do. And something has to happen off the field. It has to be something to bring your families close together, something um, throughout your playing days to make you feel like that person is, I mean, actually a football player. So I don't I don't know I don't know Justin Tucker, but he plays a position where it most- actually was noticeable to me that like nobody came over and had his back in that scenario. Like you have the other player grabbing the balls and throwing your helmet. Like if that was a, a backup running back, it would have started a fight. Exactly. So what are you doing? Why are you little boy? What do you, I mean? Young man, what are you doing picking <laughs> with grown? Why are you messing with grown folks? They, they preparing to get ready for the game. Whatever your preparation was to get your leg loose, you could have did it 30 minutes earlier. You could have did it 10 feet over to the right. You could go out to the numbers on the goal line on the hash. You could go to the end line of the end zone and get the same, you know, if, it was, if the goal post was the thing you was lining up against, just go to the end line and face it. But that wasn't he, – he wanted to try to poke the bear. He tried to start something. He got put in his place. Got, got, his, got, his, got his gear thrown out. Got thrown up by the club with his fake ID. <laughs> what's, what's the dude's name? With, with, with the rainbow on it. What's that thing? 
That was, I mean, that was a good analogy about who, them who just throwing the fake this ID stuff. Though? It was like McLaren or somebody. What's it called? The dude's name? McLovin. McLovin. <laughs> <laughs> he got thrown him by the club with his fake ID like McLovin. <laughs> it just seemed like football guy stuff to me. It really but did. One That's guy, what well, it, it, it yeah, like. You know, it's, it's, it's on a field. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, I get it. And, and one guy is not a football guy. MVS is a football guy. Pat, football guy. Yeah. Kelsey, football guy. Like, like they, out here try, they out here getting ready to do some. Right, we gonna put our hands on each other. Like, do you guys just not even hang out with the kicker? Like, no, is the kicker just not even? They don't. It's not even around. They just have their own club. It's just the four of them on. The, it's 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 fifty guys in the locker room. Just these four. That's all the people that can hang out. I think the long snapper, the kicker, and punter, them three. They just hang out. They gotta like they each got other. Their, they got their own set of games they play. Like it's like during practice, where they can't else, even play bags with y'all. They got their own set of games <laughs> they play on the other field. Like they go, they go, they go out. Away from everybody because they don't want to be a distraction while the like twos and threes are trying to like watch the guys, and they're like rolling the football to see who can get it inside the five closest to the pylon, and they you know like like I guess that's their form of craps or something like that. I mean they're, they're doing this all, every day of practice while you're running, and they're just like stretching and then special teams you know a period they go kick some field goals make some snaps, punt return punt 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 you know punt team. That's it for them. And they go. They go lift early and get out the way. They showered up by the time we come in. They all showered up and stuff. Man, you don't, you don't even stay out to break break it down with the team or nothing. Like, bro, we on a whole different. My his job is what it is. And 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 listen, you know Tucker's been doing that at a high high level, right? He's been doing that at a really high level. So whatever he does to get himself ready to go play, nobody gonna like. Listen, he's he, he's good, man. He's good good, but he ain't good enough to be. Poking Pat. No, that, no. He that, messed with the wrong. Come on, man. You know, it's silly. Coming up on the other side, I would love to get your thought. You and I actually have not talked about Dan Campbell and how they handled <laughs> the second half of it. I just, I can't wait for what you have to say. And we also have, we've asked everybody that has come in studio this week to do this. You have to do it. You need to make your top five foods that come in a bowl. It? You want to phrase that? I have to do it. You want to phrase I would like for you to okay. do it. I would like for we you grown. to give us your list of your top five foods that come in a bowl. We got Sean Barber in studio. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Kansas City is Nick Bolton. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Sean Barber, have you seen Taylor Swift yet? Like in person? No, man. And if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Why like, wouldn't you tell me? Because that's my personal business, who I know, who I know, who I don't know, who I see. You I mean, know? you could have seen her at the stadium, like, oh, yeah, I saw her. She was great. I'm going to keep it simple. No. Okay, I didn't know. I was asking. I'm, just, I'm an honest person, so I'm gonna tell you when I say no in that kind of way. That might not be, that might not really be no. <laughs> so you could be lying about it. Okay. All right. Do you want to talk about Dan Campbell first, or do you want no, to give man, us your list? Let's give me to my. Listen, I wrote this list down. Okay. All so, right. So can I? Uh, I want to play this for you because we have so many really important things to get to. Uh, so everyone that has come in studio this week, we have asked them to do one exercise. We have asked them to give us their top five foods that come in a bowl. I want to play for you, Aaron Ladd, so you can hear what he thinks. I, no, no, no. Well, I don't want to hear nobody else's. I want to. I want you to hear. I want you to hear his list. I already got my list, so I want you to hear his. But list. But he might got something I got, and then they're gonna think I took his stuff. Go ahead, man. It's your show. <laughs> Number five is ice cream, which I don't eat out of a bowl anyway. Okay. He's stupid. That right there, that's Number why he's four, done. Number four, this was mentioned last week, gumbo. 
Incredible. Cereal, number three. Mm. And I've got hot and cold cereal. So oatmeal. Uh, and then I think of also like Frosted Flakes. Number two. This should be on everybody's five serving the bowl. Chili. Okay. Especially this time of year. I will put like Fritos or some kind of corn chip on top with like cheese in there. What's your number one here? Chili is number easy. two. This is easy. Soup. Home run. Soup. What do you think of Aaron Lad's list? Did you hear the way he said soup? It, it was his number one soup. So, I, I mean, again, like, I, I think that when you asked him the question, he just looked up on his phone, what comes in the bowl, and just put him in order. Like, I asked him at, like, 12, 15. So, I hope he put a little bit more time and thought into it, it than that. With that list, it didn't seem like it. Okay. I was just, like, listen, man, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of particular type person. So, when you ask me to do something, I'm really going to put some time, and I'm going to think about it. Okay. And I think that's why I probably... That's why you're so good at the draft. I mean, I'm going to send you the link to my draft picks from last year. Oh, I can't I, wait. I did the top 30, uh, March 3rd before the draft. And we can go over how my, how my list was and how those guys turned out. Scary. You actually really like Zay Flowers. I remember. You were, oh, yeah. a, big, you were a big Zay Flowers fan. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember. People talking about he might make it to the Chiefs. Not ever. Not okay. with his skill level and ability, but. You know. That's why you're the, That's why we come to you. He was my number one. Barbara Kuyper. Are you ready to give us a list? Yeah, Rob, let's go. Let's hit start. the music. Hit, hit the music. It. I can't wait to hear Barbara's five favorite foods that come in a bowl because the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Number five, man, I like some uh, pad thai. I like a little pad thai. When I get my pad thai, I get a combo meat, but I get some extra shrimp on there. So I like the chicken and shrimp and the meat, and I get the extra shrimp, and I get mine Thai medium. Okay. If you know about Thai food, Thai medium is spicy. It's hot. It's hot. Yeah. I don't know anything it, about it. It makes you sweat. So I don't want I don't want medium. I I normally ask for what's the least hot thing that's on here, and that's what I want. I specifically ask the waiter that every time. Number four. I asked to go before Aaron Lab, but you didn't let me. But number four is definitely ice cream. A nice bowl of ice cream is the way to finish off every weekend. Uh, um, every man should have a bowl of ice cream at some point during the weekend to congratulate yourself for a job well done during the week. Be about your business during the week, your nutrition, your rest. Get get your right. Get get everything you need to do at work done. Check all the boxes, and then on the weekend, enjoy yourself a bowl like a, a nice three scoop. I mean, a nice bowl of ice cream. I don't do no sauces, no no carrot, none of that on it. No whipped cream, cookies and cream. Three scoops of it. Three scoops. I was gonna ask your favorite. You already answered three scoops. It for me. Cookies and cream. Uh, number three. Number three for me is corn pudding. You ain't going to understand this. My mom used to make corn pudding every holiday. That was her my favorite side. And if you know me and you talk to me long enough, you realize I don't do the main entrees. I'm an all-sides type person on Halloween and Christmas and Thanksgiving and all those other uh, places or times you cook food. But uh, I love some corn pudding, um, and that's I, I can eat a bowl of that just like that. I don't think I've ever had corn pudding well, before. It's really good. You should try it. Okay. Find somebody to make it for you. Does Does Beauty Shop make corn pudding? <laughs> Is that, are, are you referring to my wife? That's Beauty Shop. You're a barber shop and she's Beauty Shop. You did not get that. I did not stamp that as okay to be. I've any, been calling her that since the first time I met her. I called her Beauty Shop. We'll talk about this off the air. <laughs> okay. I don't play with nobody talking about my wife. And a good and compliments, not compliments. Don't be hugging her. Don't be. No, don't be glancing at or nothing. Just keep your stuff to yourself. Uh, number two. Number two is collard greens. 
I'm talking slow broiled. I'm talking with some ham hock. Uh, you think Rob has ever had collard greens before? See, I, you 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 are on this two America thing. I think everybody's had it. Some collard greens at this time. If you are t- over the age of twenty, and you ain't and you don't know anybody in your life that's offered you no collard greens, you need to go out and explore. You need to open your wings, spread your wings, just go someplace that has some good collard greens. So nutritional. That's why I don't never get sick. I think because I. Eat me a nice bowl of collard greens. I love collard greens. To answer your so question, good. I have. I Thank have family you. south of Mason-Dixon line, so yes, I've had collard <laughs> greens. <laughs> I love collard greens. A little hot sauce, a little vinegar on mine. Oh, love it. Um, we on number one? Yes, this is number one. So right now you have number five, pad thai. Number four, ice cream. Number three, corn pudding. Number two, collard greens. Number one. Number one, again, I wanted to do my, 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 my list before Aaron. But it is definitely a bowl of chili, man. I, I get my bowl of chili from Red Door Grill. I put bacon. I put cheese on it. I put a little jalapeno on it. I get a little oyster crackers. Put them on it. Anything I find, I put. It, I get a little sour cream, and I always get mine with the. They got these jalapeno cornbread muffins with just a pat of honey butter. Gotta go get me some. Come on, man. Red Door Grill, bring it. <laughs> Shout out to my man Josh. <laughs> How many locations? They got six of them in here in Kansas City. There's six Red Door I grills? should go to each one of them get a bowl of chili for the next six weeks on Saturday. Just stop by each one and give me a bowl of chili just to make sure that they're keeping there. What was your honorable mention? Like what just missed the cut of Cereal. foods that go in a bowl? Cereal was like the – that was low-hanging fruit. That's why I didn't include it because I'm a deep thinker. And I, 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 that makes sense. I what's, try, what's your favorite cereal? Oh, man. Like what – all right, what is my favorite or what do I eat? That's like your di- favorite. Because I got high E1C, so I don't eat things with a lot of sugar in it. So if I had the chance to eat my favorite, it would be like Frosted Flakes. Oh, okay. It'd be like Honey Smacks. But I got high, high E1C, so it would be like Tricks. I mean, that's why, that's why I didn't include it, because you hear I say Tricks? Yeah. That's how he said soup. <laughs> I got it. No, uh, this, was a, this was a good list. This was your list, the barbershop list of your five favorite foods that come in a bowl. Not one person has just said good old ramen noodles. That's in my top five. I love ramen noodles. Come on, man. You can't do no, no ramen I love ramen noodles. You, sh- you, shouldn't, you shouldn't even say that no more. Because you're old enough to not even... A little chicken flavor. Okay. I usually put one ice cube in there so it can kind of be cool by the time. I don't want to be... I got to do that for the next 15 minutes so I can enjoy my noodles. Now nah, I'll put one ice cube in there, cool that water down a little bit. I'm going crazy. I mean, I don't know how anybody enjoys ramen noodles. I understand why people eat them. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit hungry. I don't want to make a big meal. So I just yeah, that's why bit. I love them. And, and they're delicious. Again. They're delicious. Come on. I, I love them. I'm serious. I Bro. love them. Okay. Like, I mean, There's some things that always stay stocked at Casa de Carrington. Ramen noodles and Pringles. I need them. I'm a, I mean, come down to 159. I'm going to take you to uh, Junior. What is that? It's a ramen noodles place. Okay, yeah, no, let's do it. But it's like high end. Like craft ramen? It's like handmade joint. It's good. Okay. He's not going to like it. Is it hot? He ain't going to like it. I'm just asking because, you know, I don't want it. If it's got a little spice, it ain't nice. Oh, I thought you meant like the heat. Is no, hot? I just meant like, it's. I was going to say like, what, how many ramen is you know ain't hot? No, like, I just didn't know if it was like because you said you like your pad thai. You like it. it. Everything gets different levels. They don't just it don't just come out the bowl like spicy, man. Okay, like, good. You, I don't. Let's keep that away from me then. Jeez, keep it away from me. You'll like it, dog. Get a little egg drop in there and everything. Do you want to talk about Dan Campbell on the other side? Yeah. I also want to know what was your, what's your favorite Super Bowl. Let's do that on the other side. I love just learning more things about Sean Barber. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. Keep right here to drive. 
The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Download the Odyssey app and listen to The Drive with Carrington wherever you are. Sean Barber is here. Sean Barber, what is your favorite Super Bowl? What is my favorite? I guess it would be the first one I actually saw in person. Uh, out in, uh, How many have you been to? Ooh, I had to think about that. I, I, I mean, well, I've been that, to that many. I mean, I, I had to think about it just so I don't lie. Three, four, five, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, 1998, when I was coming out of uh, University of Richmond, uh, preparing myself for the uh, combine in January of 1998. Yep. My agent, uh, Brian Mackler with Sports Stars, took me and two other clients, uh, took us to the Chargers, was Qualcomm or whatever stadium, the Broncos versus the Packers. That was the Whirly Bird one, the Elway, the run. I mean, again, I was a college guy. I was—I don't know if I was really focused on the game as much as all the sights and sounds and like I was—I was just—I was soaking up the whole experience. So I think, I mean, we got there like four or five hours before the game even started. I mean, I stopped and, I mean, like again, just soaking up. You know, as a college uh, fifth-year guy and you know preparing myself for the combine, I just wanted to just. Yeah, this was the goal. Like that was the goal to, to play in one of these games in this atmosphere and everything. So. Um, what's it like? I mean, you've been to AFC NFC championship games. You've been to enough Super Bowls. Like there is, there has to be a difference in terms of energy, oh, crowd. Oh my goodness, what's different? Um, I think this the the, the your your self control of the emotion. How do you control your emotions for that first kickoff? Like the first quarter of the Super Bowl has to be just a, a such a rush of adrenaline and anger and self reflection and like your, your whole training camp and all 18 or 16, 17 games flash before your eyes when you blink and uh, just finding a way to calm yourself back down and get into reality to realize, like, this is the moment. This is this is when every – any play could be the play that cost you either being a champion or being just another team that lost um, and having to, like, swallow that, digest it, and then get your, like, mindset back to alignment, assignment, execution. I mean, how many times have you heard me say that? You know, you're really big on that. And I was I was actually thinking this. So we'll probably talk about this more next week. The Chiefs defense has a chance to do something that just not a lot of teams do. You'd like mention that fine line. People will talk about Kansas City's defense forever, or no one outside of Kansas City will ever talk about this year's defense. And it really comes down to the next 60 minutes. If they win the Super Bowl and they play how they played during the course of the regular season and the postseason, and they hold San Francisco to 16 points and they win this game, people will, I mean, great as Patrick Mahomes is, this defense will get a lot of credit historically all time for how they played, how they performed, and how good they were over the course of the season. Or again, it will be forgotten. Like, I actually think that team in 2020 is, is the best Chiefs team they've had during this run offensively, defensively, how complete they were, how much better they were than the rest of the AFC. No one ever talks about that or remembers how good that team was because they lost and they got blown out in the Super Bowl. That's what's really at stake for this defense if they play well, especially against a healthy Debo Samuel, a healthy Christian McCaffrey, a healthy Brandon Ayuk. Trent Williams is going to play in this game. This is San Francisco's offense with two weeks to prepare. I think that if you asked internally, are the Chiefs as team, as as each individual player, 
are you what is the word? Are you happy or sad that the Miami Dolphins had a few like Jalen Phillips and a guy's, you know, a cornerback out? Are you happy that the Buffalo Bills had Milano and Trey White and everything? Are you happy that um the Ravens, you know, you, you feel it just didn't stick to their game? Or would you have rather beat them at their best? Like like really when it comes down to it and you have time to reflect on it, the goal is just to get to this game. You just really want to win by one point. Just give me one more point in the playoffs so I can move on. I don't really care who they got lining up. I don't care who we got lining up. I just want to get one more point and move on. When it gets to this game in the Super Bowl, it, it ain't no tomorrow for nobody. This is it. This is this is it. Ain't no ain't no ain't no more games left of the season. I think that a man to man, you would love for that team to be full strength versus your full strength. You want them to play a level against your A level. You want their coaches to stick with their script, stay on, stay on task, stay on target. You stay on target and and and, and let mano y mano, man versus man. What is it? Uh, two men enter, one man leaves. Is that was that the Terradome, Thunderdome, whatever it was with Mel Gibson. Um, yeah, you want to walk away with no doubt, with no like, like no excuses, no nobody, nobody. Uh, we were healthy and all, nah, 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 you know, like bump all that. We beat, we beat, we beat you at your best, and we were clearly the best team this year. I, I think that that resounds and resolves in, in players' minds a lot, a lot harder and a lot more uh, than most people think. I want to talk to you more about the game next week. I, I think at least for me. I'm picking Kansas City to win. I'm picking Kansas City to win because they have the better head coach, they have the better quarterback, they have the better defense. And I told, I, I told you that in August, but go ahead. No, you're right. And I do believe that Kansas City has figured out sort of their style to win. And if you're going to give this defensive coordinator two weeks to figure out that team's quarterback, I think they're going to win. But I do understand why the algorithm has San Francisco as the favorite. Like San Francisco was a better team this year than Kansas City. And when they have been fully healthy – they have been the best team in the National Football League this mm-hmm. year. So I understand how, hey, you put all those numbers into a computer, you put all them all into the black box, how the black box tells you that San Francisco is a small favorite over Kansas City. But I do think that in these scenarios, you know this moment. I don't care how good Kansas City's run game is, how good Kansas City's defense is, the same way that their defense was lights out. On Sunday, they needed their quarterback to make one big play at the end of the game. And I just trust that their quarterback is going to make that play because I've seen him make that play for the first six years of his career. And I think that's the difference in this game. Like, that's why I'm picking Kansas City to win this game. I certainly think, like, San Francisco was a worthy challenge. Oh, yeah. Baltimore obviously was. They were the best regular season team. Like, you, if you're going to be the champion, you have to beat the two teams that were the best team in the regular season. And that was San Francisco in the NFC and Baltimore in the AFC. You have completed 50% of the journey. If you complete the other 50%, you are a champion. It's, it's nothing that's going to be more pleasant than to walk away and reflect upon this season and know that, you know, you, you went through the other conferences, number one team to hold up that Lombardi trophy. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes a, 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 a lower seed knocks off a one because of, you know, you know, some, some, some kind of fumble. And then the, the, the two teams that play at the end are not really the regular season best teams and stuff like that. And so there is a little bit of a, you know, a team walking around thinking, oh, if we would, we would have beat either one of those teams in that in that mm-hmm. situation. 
No, not this year. Kind of like what happened last year with the Rams. Or not, not last year with the Rams, but when the Rams won the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. Uh, I mean, I, I do feel like over the course of the last two years, these are the two best teams. Oh, like definitely. since the Christian McCaffrey trade, they have been the second best team in the league behind Kansas City, which has been the best team in the league. Uh, someone on the text line said they are willing to bet $5 that you cannot name three Usher songs. Can you name three Usher songs? And we need to make sure that they send you your $5 if you name three Usher songs. Um, Three Usher songs. Three. You're a P1. We've been talking songs all day. This is my confession. That's one. There's one, okay. yeah. You have one, Confessions. Uh, yeah, I heard the other two y'all thought was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> No. Barbershop, you're one of my favorite people, man. Uh, you really are. Uh, Sean Barber, he'll be back next week, and we will break down this game. It was great talking to you. Players only coming up next. This Keep it right here confession. on 610sports.com. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.